Hello everyone. I would like to call the March 21st, 2023 Longmont City Council regular session to order. The live stream of this meeting can be viewed at the city's YouTube channel and also at Longmont Public Media. Forward, if you go online, it's longmontpublicmedia.org forward slash watch or on Comcast channels 8 or 880. Can we have the roll call please, Don? Mayor Beck. Present. Councilmember Hidalgo Faring. Councilmember Martin. Councilmember McCoy. Present. Mayor Pro Tem Rodriguez. Councilmember Waters. Councilmember Yarrow. Mayor, you have a quorum. Thank you. Let's stand for the pledge. As a reminder to the public, anyone wishing to speak at first call public invited to be heard will need to add his or her name to the list outside the council chambers. Only those on the list will be invited to speak at the first call public invited to be heard. Speakers who do not place their names on the list will have the opportunity to speak during the final call public invited to be heard. Anyone wishing to speak on second reading or public hearing items are asked to add their name to the speaker list for each particular item. Each speaker is limited to three minutes and we would like you to uh, state your name and address. So um, we are now moving on to the approval of the minutes. We have the March 7th, 2023 regular session minutes to approve. Can I have a motion please? I move approval. Is there any discussion? Seeing none, let's vote. That motion was made by uh, Councillor Hidalgo Faring, seconded by Councillor McCoy. And that carried unanimously. Thank you. We don't have any special reports or presentations tonight, so we're going to go right on to the to uh, public invited to be heard. First call. The first person on the list is Cher Matthews. And remember to state your name and address and you have three minutes, Cher. Oh, Cher. Cher Matthews, 1041 Champion Circle. Can I interrupt you for just a moment? I missed on the agenda items that we need to do the city manager's report Sorry. first. No, just sit in one of the front seats. We'll call you up. Mayor, I normally don't have something here, but I do tonight. <laughs> um, so uh, you all know that the city's taking positions in terms of oil and gas and the impacts that it has on our community. Mm -hmm. And today, um, a legislative bill that, that proposes uh, to reform oil and gas force pooling um, has been introduced. It's been assigned to the Senate and Ag and Natural Resources but it's not on the calendar yet. And the reason why I'm bringing this up tonight is because we don't have um, a meeting next week and we don't, and we have a meeting on the fourth. And so in case it gets calendared before the next council meeting, wanted to get some direction on this from the city council. Um, basically what the bill um, looks at is reforming force pooling to reflect as they indicate modern conditions and that it's requiring operators to have an approved force pooling application from COGCC before drilling and fracking the pooled minerals. They, they currently don't have to have that. 
It also allows individual mineral owners who do not want to be pulled to argue that position to the COGCC. Um, it eliminates the statutory penalty for non-consenting mineral owners. And this is the important piece. It excludes minerals owned by local governments and school districts from force pooling. Those governmental units have the statutory and constitutional duties to manage their finances and, and their property. And they're arguing that it's infringed upon by force pooling. Local <laughs> governments and school districts may still voluntarily lease minerals if they cho choose, but it doesn't put us into that force pooling piece. So today, just based on the introduction and the timing of the meetings that we have, uh, wanted to bring that to Council's attention and see if that's something that you all want to direct us to support. Um, in this, um, the City Attorney did advise me that because it dropped today and we don't have 24-hour notice that I could bring this up in this section to see how Council wants staff to proceed with this. Great. Do I have any input from Council? Can we just give us a yes or no that we want to support? Councillor Martin. To... I'll, I'll, I would just say that I have read discussion on this um, from environmentalists in the last week or so, and uh, we should, I, it's my opinion that we should support it. Okay, thank you. Anyone else want to chime in here? Let's just give a, uh, do you need a formal vote? Mayor and Council, I think a formal position of the city would be helpful in the legislative process. Do you have the bill number? No bill number was assigned. No, it hasn't been assigned yet. a number. Based on what I saw. Okay. It's Senate Bill 23XXX. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I'm going to move that Council support the uh, bill that will allow cities and counties, school districts, special districts to opt out of force pooling. All right, so I've made that motion. It's been seconded by Councillor Martin. Let's vote, please. There you go. It carried unanimously. Um, and I'm going to be testifying in support of this bill. So now, Cher, thank you so much for waiting. Was that the end of your? Okay. Okay. 1041 Champion Circle, and I'd like to address some of my concerns about the proposed project of putting the 57 townhouses on the property of 8513 St. Vrain Road. Uh, first of all, that's a very narrow sliver of property. It doesn't have access of its own to come and go, so all of the, pro the cars and trucks are going to be funneled into Champion Greens. That's going to be a lot of extra traffic. There's going to be a lot of extra noise pollution, light pollution and the other thing that we object to is right now when we look west we see trees and we see blue skies if they build these uh, townhouses as they suggest they're going to when i look out the back i'm going to see either concrete brick or vinyl siding it's a great area right now it's it has so much wildlife in it we have deer we have rabbits we have a bear squirrels we have uh, occasional bear and occasional mountain lion back there not to mention the real cute little mice that look like kangaroos. The trees provide us an enormous amount of protection from the sun. It provides us a buffer from the noise from the airport road. It provides a buffer from the heavy winds coming from the west. Every summer we keep getting hotter and hotter. 
these trees have really done an enormous amount to protect us from that intense sun. What I'm asking is, is we are a, what you would classify a mature community. Many of the people in Champion Greens have lived here all their lives, buying houses when they were young, buying bigger houses as their family grew, all the time paying taxes, respecting the needs of the city, supporting the city. So what my request is very simple. When you take into consideration whether to approve this project, please take in consideration and start returning back some of that consideration and respect and think about you've got thousands and thousands of new developments going on, new living quarters, 57 townhouses back there in that small sliver of property. It leaves it really worth the cost that it's going to create. So what I'm asking, when you consider this, the respect and the consideration and the support we've given you all these years, I'd like to ask you to turn around and give some back to us when you're considering this. Thank you very much. Thank you, Cher. Jack Silke. My name is Jack Soki. I live at 1061 Champion Circle in the Champion Greens neighborhood subdivision. I am immediate past president of the Homeowners Association. I here, I'm here to support our petition to the city, which opposes the annexation development of the 8513 Street, which she had just talked about on Rain Road. The property directly behind my house. Let me be clear. My neighbors and I are not opposed to general annexation of this property. But we are strenuously opposed to the plan that has been prepared by Jack Bestall and Olive Grove LLC. Our opposition based upon the following. The, re the rezoning of our neighborhood from the single family residential to RMN, RMN or residential mixed neighborhood in 2018 was not sufficiently communicated to the neighborhood or to the wider real estate community. Homes were still being advertised as a single family residential until very recently. None of my neighbors have any knowledge of this community being rezoned. Number two. The density of the proposed development would add unacceptable traffic load to our existing streets. We are a community of 88 houses, adding 57 townhouses with all traffic routed through our neighborhood would create at least 65% or more in traffic increase with resulting safety concerns. A three, a potential height of proposed buildings 35 feet creates other issues impacting our privacy and right to light. It would leave our west side homes in deep shade from 3 p.m. until sundown. We have a sun simulation which uh, demonstrates this effect. The envisioned Longmont document states the new development should harmonize our existing properties. This development will clearly dwarf Champion Green's community most of which are single-story patio homes. I would like to add that we appeal to you as citizens 
taxpayers, and voters to honor our concerns. We have a long-term investment in our houses and the Logman community. We have put a lifetime of our work and saving into our homes, where many of us thought we could age in place. Please give us same consideration that you afford to out-of-town developers and investors and to potential buyers. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Jack. No, no clapping, please. Matthew Spencer. The reason that you can't clap is there are differing views in this uh, auditorium or this uh, chamber, and um, we don't want to discourage people from talking or speaking because they don't feel accepted if you're clapping. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Matthew, uh, 14431. Matthew, would you mind getting closer to the mic? Sure, okay. My address is 14431 Wheatland Drive. And I'd like to talk tonight about the uh, Longmont City, uh, Longmont Center for Arts and Entertainment, which is a, uh, I'm very passionate about the idea of it, and I think it's very important for our community. Um, so I want to use a few examples, paint, kind of paint a picture for everyone. The first example I want to use is a map. You can imagine a map. I think uh, this Performing Arts Center will put Longmont on the map, regionally, perhaps nationally. Lot, we have lots of great things here in Longmont, as you all know, uh, but I think we need more to make Longmont a destination community, and I believe that Visit Longmont is going to be continuing to help with that. Um, so, but I think it will help put us on the map. Secondly, I think if you can imagine a chessboard, I think. Um, one of the things I've noticed, and I was born and raised here in Longmont, and I think our city, we uh, historically haven't really played chess very well with other communities. And I think we're in the game whether we want to be or not. And so I would think it's a shame if Longmont were, weren't to, to put a art center down when another community might, like Loveland, or who knows, Firestone, heck, Berthoud could do it, Mead could do it. And I think it'd be a shame if we didn't do it first. Um, we're the we're the big heavyweight population-wise here in the area, Boulder County anyway. So that's my thought, is we need to play chess with other communities. Thirdly, I think it, it's an opportunity for youth to aspire to. You know, if, there's, if we have a national level art center here in Longmont, I think they could say, hey, I could do that. Maybe I could participate. Maybe, maybe I wouldn't have to go to New York City or whatever. Maybe I could be big here in the little town. You know, I think that would be great. Fourthly, I think... Um, this is kind of a driving thought I've had is what do great cities have and what do great cities do? And one of them is great cities, whether they're in Europe or in the new world, you could say, they build art centers. And um, I think regardless of how long it takes, and of course I would rather it happen in the next decade than in the next, you know, 50 years, um, I think we should just make a plan of it. You know, however long it takes, let's as a community say, we're going to build a we're going to build a performing arts center that can compete with perhaps Denver or other other places. Why not? Why not Longmont? So those are my four thoughts. Um, let's just make a plan out of it. Um, so I'm definitely in favor of getting this on the ballot, and uh, I hope that we can mobilize the community to get behind voting for that. Uh, my final thought is a separate thought, and I'm kind of wondering, it's kind of a question for the council, is how come we don't fly our flag? 
Longmont has a flag. Are we not proud of the flag that we have? And if we are not proud of it, because it's not outside the Civic Center, please correct me if I'm wrong. Let's do a different flag. I would suggest let's just slap the new logo on a flag and hoist it and be <laughs> proud of our city. Just, just a thought. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you for all you do. Thank you. Jeffrey Woodward. Shorten this down. <laughs> Mayor Peck, my name is Jeff Woodward. I live at 1057 Champion Circle. I just gave the clerk a petition signed by over 100 citizens of Longmont opposing the development at 8513 St. Brain Road as currently proposed. I've asked her to pass a map along so that you can have some references. If I may, under Longmont's Code of Ordinance, Title 15, Section 15.01.030, Purpose and Intent, Item 5 states that one of the goals is to provide for reasonable stewardship of the city's resources by, quote, encouraging innovative and quality development that preserves and protects the character of the community, including its landscape and natural resources, that minimizes adverse impacts of such development especially when adjacent to residential uses. The term adverse impact is used extensively throughout the land development code. The code defines adverse impact as a condition that creates, imposes, aggravates, or leads to a negative aesthetic condition on a site proposed for development or an off-site property or facility. For example, a proposed building that blocks a scenic view corridor or a building whose height and mass is out of scale and proportion with adjacent residential buildings. We're not opposed to development. Longmont has made great strides in adopting Envision Longmont, but it's missing a critical piece to implement what I read in your land development code. You need a design review board. Several cities in Colorado have one. They're a critical piece to make sure new development blends with the community. I grew up in small towns in the Mountain West and in Alaska. I moved to Longmont because of its proximity to the mountains, access to nature, and outdoor activities. It seemed like a good quality of life. I spent the last 15 years of my working life with FEMA as the flood insurance expert and the liaison between the flood insurance program and the banking regulators. I was deployed to big towns and small towns where I saw firsthand what good planning could do and what poor planning could lead to. I be, it was because of my deployment to Colorado in 2013, I decided to relocate here. I think your heart's in the right place, but Longmont needs to take the next step. You need that piece that not only reviews a project for compliance with the version of the International Building Code that the city has adopted, but you also need something that complies with Envision Longmont, which is to preserve and protect existing neighborhoods and the character of the community to make sure new development adds to rather than detracts from the character of the community. I'm submitting this petition from over 100 citizens of the area adversely impacted by this proposed development. We strongly urge that this proposal for annexation and development be rejected as it currently is proposed. Thank you. Thank you. Mariah Sullivan. 
Good evening, Madam Mayor, Council, people of Longmont. I am Mariah Sullivan, the President of the Board of Directors of the Longmont Alliance for Arts and Entertainment. Mariah? I reside at... Oh, okay, go ahead. 350 <laughs> Lincoln Street in Longmont. My address tonight will request your vote in adding the Center for Arts and Entertainment to the November ballot. I have reviewed the public poll in the council packet undertaken by Magellan Strategies on behalf of the city. Thank you for requesting the feedback from our public. The polling shows the Center for Arts and Entertainment at the top of the pack for cultural facilities in Longmont. The poll question stating, if you could only choose one of the four recreation and cultural projects to be on the ballot this November, which one would it be? The new recreation center topped this question at 27%, while the cultural facility option, the Center for Arts and Entertainment, was a close second at 21%. All other options fell consistently below 16%. I want to reiterate to the council and to the public that the bond on this proposal initiative would not be issued until $35 million of private money was raised over the next five years. Therefore, this would be, not be an immediate tax burden for the voter. This tax would come in the future when our economy has had time to rebound from its current state. Additionally, this proposed cultural facility is the only new option that would actually bring income into our community. While the other proposed amenities also bring value to our city, the sales tax revenue generated by the Center for Arts and Entertainment when our neighboring communities visit Longmont for, say, a show, a meal, and some retail therapy, perhaps an overnight stay, give Longmont double the value both monetarily and culturally. Having a place where the Longmont and surrounding area communities can experience the performing arts from other genres or areas of the world is incredibly progressive and would only enrich our community through an increased tax base, stronger social networks, and community cohesion, reduced health risks, higher empathy, and more community pride. Council members, when the choice comes to you, please vote to put the Longmont Center for Arts and Entertainment on this fall's ballot. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Mariah. Mm -hmm. Ethan Ogren. Ethan. Good evening, Ethan McGreen, 930 Button Rock. Today I come not to celebrate, but to excoriate a milestone in the history of Longmont. Today marks more than 1,000 days since last time the city's Climate Action Task Force held a meeting, and very little progress has been made to achieve the city's goal of 100% renewable electricity by 2030. I urge you to take urgent action to prevent Logmont from plumbing over a looming energy security cliff within the next decade. If we do not take new leadership and make a serious commitment to putting climate talk into action, we will face soaring electricity prices, a crippled economy, and even blackouts that could turn the lights off on Longmont. Currently, as you know, Longmont relies on coal as a huge proportion of total electricity consumption. And in 2030, the coal-fired power plant in Wellington will be retired 
and when rawhide goes offline, we'll face more than a 50% loss of electricity generation overnight. And this is a chart from Platte River that depicts that. You can see the line showing consumption and then a drop off in generation in 2030. So there are ways to address that gap, like distribute solar power. It could cost perhaps over a billion dollars to put solar panels and battery storage on every rooftop in, in Longmont. Uh, wind energy is another poss possible solution if wind energy was doubled. But given the overall lack of progress Longmont has made in the last five years toward 100% renewable electricity by 2030, while you've all been asleep on a job, I believe it would be prudent to delay the goal until 2035. 10 and 12 years is a more reasonable turnaround for transformation of this size. I urge City Council again to reconvene the Defund Climate Action Task Force, who have not held a meeting now for over 1,000 days, 1,012 days to be exact. It's time for Lamont to get serious about managing a responsible energy transition. If you lack the political will to do so, then aggressive plans to eliminate carbon-based electricity in 20, by 2030 should be put on hold indefinitely or else the lights will go off on Longmont. I hope we do not choose that path. In conclusion, I implore you to take action to prevent Longmont from careening off the energy cliff. You can't just make speeches and pass declarations. You must actually roll up your sleeves and get to work and provide the funding and the will to actually provide renewable electricity if that is your goal. Bullet points and thought bubbles in PowerPoint presentations do not turn lights on. It's time to get serious about managing a responsible energy transition and taking the necessary steps to ensure Laban's sustainable energy future. Thank you. Thank you, Ethan. Gary Hodges. Hello, good evening, Councilmen, Councilwomen, Mayor. Thank you for this opportunity. My name's Gary Hodges, 2148 Stewart Street. Um, last week, there was a rather important meeting of the Boulder County Planning Commission. I uh, attended that one. Uh, the topic, one, the agenda topic I was most interested in was the termination of the Kanemoto Conservation Easement. Um, last year, I was one of three candidates running for the open council seat that Councilman Sean McCoy now sits on. Good job, Sean. And uh, the uh, early in my campaign, the issue of the Kanemoto easement uh, came to my attention. And uh, last year was my first time I ever ran for public office, but I, I can't imagine a gift like that dropping into a candidate's lap that many political candidates experience, where it's a, an issue that they can get behind, their values, morals align with it, and seems it has almost 100% support of all the people that might be voting for you. Um, so spoke about it often during the campaign. It, it came up during the forums, uh, came up while I was knocking on doors, talked about it with a lot of people knocking on doors, interviews, etc. Um, I didn't encounter one person who was in, in support of terminating that conservation easement. It seemed to have, it seems to have 100%, 100% support. And it was during one of the candidate forums um, where the candidates, the three of us, uh, were asked directly if we supported preserving the conservation easement. And in fact, all three of the candidates did come out strongly in support of preserving that conservation easement. So it was, uh, I'd been working with uh, uh, 
people that live in uh, Clover Creek, and I was I went to them. I called, emailed them all after that meeting, and I said, "Hey, you know, look, who knows? I don't know who's going to win this election, but I just want you all to know that all three of the candidates are in support of this conservation easement. So you should at least feel feel good about that. That whoever wins running is in support of that." Um, so at, at the meeting last week with the, the planning commission, at the end of it, I thought, you know, he said something. I actually reviewed it again this afternoon, and I thought it was just so dishonest. Um, well, one of the commissioners said that, well, you know, I, I would like to support the people that aren't here that might live in the, the high-density development there uh, that aren't here to speak, that they don't even know that are going to live there. And I was just thinking to myself, good grief. I mean, if we built a 20-story apartment complex on the shores of Boulder Reservoir, do you think people would live there? I mean, of course they would, but I, to use that as an excuse, um, there were about 15 people that spoke uh, on this subject, uh, people that came to that meeting, and there was only one person. That's actually the first time I encountered someone other than the developer that was in support of terminating the conservation easement, and based on who they were, I, I'd say I'm not even sure they, were, uh, they lived in Longmont. So. Uh, we've got to draw the line somewhere, and I just want to encourage all of you, because it's coming to your table. I guess you all know this, and that's what the commission said. They, they, they said terminate it, leave it up to Longmont to annex, and so I encourage you all to vote uh, no on that. Thank you. Thank you, Gary. Cimarron? Hello. Hello, um, my name's Cimarron. <coughs> my name's Cimarron Kanake. Kanake. I live at 136 South Main Street, Longmont, Colorado, 80501. Uh, Mayor and City Council, I'm here to address some concerns with item 12C on the agenda today. As long as I've known my parents, we have supported the Arts and Longmont Symphony Orchestra. I have some concerns of the Performing Arts Center. If the location is directly north of our address on Main Street, we live in a house still on its original foundation of Burlington Village, pre-Longmont. It also has the oldest known land patent in Colorado. I'm concerned that we'll lose the historical look and feel of our property. We are continuing the legacy that is unique and special, and I'm hoping to continue to protect and preserve a living historical property and all the historical buildings too. We have worked hand in hand with many projects around us and through us over the years, especially after the floods of 2012. We still use the Dickens private ditch from 1862 that William H. Dickens helped to organize the ditch with Beckwith back in the day. I thank you for your time regarding this matter. Thank you, Cimarron. Mark Crawford. Members. Uh, my name is Mark Crawford, residing at 327 South Parkside, and I'm here to voice my support for the initiative to build the Longmont Center for Arts and Entertainment. Um, I am a freelance film composer and a proud Longmont resident. Most recently, I wrote the music for the Netflix Emmy Award-winning documentary, The Social Dilemma, as well as additional music for Chasing Coral and Chasing Ice. Mm -hmm. uh, living in Longmont and building my career as a quote-unquote Hollywood film composer has not been an easy path, but what has inspired me the most along the way is I've been able to follow my dreams while living in the city that I love. 
and working with the incredible talent who live in the area. I'm speaking today in support of the proposed ballot measure to build the new Longmont Center for Arts and Entertainment. Uh, and I could go on and on about the importance of music, art, and expression in our society, but it doesn't take long to see the opportunities that Longmont loses out on if we don't have the infrastructure in place to support artistic entrepreneurs. As a personal example, while I've been able to record most of my smaller scores here in town at Wind Over the Earth just down the street, I typically have to outsource the recording of larger ensembles to places like LA or in my most recent case, Vienna, Austria, due to space. If I wanna hear contemporary film music from today's top film composers being played live, I have to fly to LA. Or if we want to hear bigger acts and bands play in Colorado, we have to drive to DCPA or Red Rocks. And one of the reasons why I didn't move to LA is because I really hate driving. Um, if you think about the number of art attractions outside of Longmont that citizens from this town and surrounding areas drive to that could be hosted here in Longmont, it's staggering how much business we're missing out on. This measure is not just about building a physical space where we can celebrate music, film, dance, and theater. It's about helping an already budding arts and cultural ecosystem blossom into a source of levity, hope, and inspiration for generations to come. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Larissa Rhodes. <clears throat> Hello, my name, oh, first of all, <clears throat> thank you, Mayor Peck and council members. My name is Larissa Rhodes, and my address is the Quail Ridge neighborhood, 327 South Parkside. I'm an independent filmmaker. I was born here in Boulder County. I've lived in this area my entire life, with the exception of a master's program I did at Columbia. I've worked on many projects that have been featured on places like HBO, National Geographic, and Netflix. And I've worked with Academy Award winning and nominated filmmakers. And the most recent film I worked on was nominated for seven primetime Emmy nominations. And I don't normally say any of this in public. <laughs> and I was, so, I was hoping to share my accolades, not because I think they're important, but because I think that when I tell people I'm an independent filmmaker here in Colorado, they're very surprised. And it's, <clears throat> excuse me, um, and, and to me, I think it's surprising because they don't realize the incredible community that exists of creative members here in Longmont and across the Front Range. I'm here because I'm in favor of the Longmont Center for Arts and Entertainment for many reasons, but most important today is the economic loss that I see our proud city falling prey to as a result of other cities having creative visions for bringing people together around the arts. People often quote the movie Field of Dreams, if you build it, they will come. But in fact, this community is already here. We have um, an incredible blossoming group of creative individuals from the music and film societies um, across Longmont and other surrounding cities. And if we had a facility, we could potentially host film premieres or screenings. There are some venues like Red Rocks and the Buell Theater that offer the ability to have a symphony play alongside a film. If we want to go see those, we have to drive to those areas, and that means that our date nights and friends out trips and all of those dinners and dollars are going to other areas. We've been asking other artists 
um, in areas what what they need from a space like this. And I have a quote um, because someone couldn't be here today from our local legend, Taylor Sims, if you know him. Um, he's part of the bands Bonnie and the Clydes and Everybody Loves an Outlaw. And he shared this quote with me to read. It says, Longmont rocks. I make my living as a performer and a songwriter. And I have played music all over the world. I'm a certified gold recording artist, and I love Longmont's arts community. It has inspired me and pushed me, and I owe this town a lot. I'm, I'm in complete favor of this initiative 100%. This is just one example of an artist um, that is very eager and excited to see Longmont be a leader in this community. So I urge you, as you're considering the vote for the Longmont Center of Arts and Inter Entertainment, to consider these thoughts. Thank you. Thank you, Marissa. Larissa. Gordon Pedro. Mayor and City Council, good evening. I'm Gordon Pedro, 2639 Falcon Drive. Approximately four years ago, the City Council was discussing placing before the voters a bond issue and tax increase for new recreation facilities. Since four of the current council members were engaged in those discussions, this may seem like old hat. Four years ago, I was one of the several residents advocating for a new recreation center similar to the one at Quail Campus. I'm hoping for a better outcome this year in 2019. You will recall than we had in 2019. You will recall that instead of placing a new expanded recreation center before the voters, a majority of the city council went big and placed a competitive aquatic center and an ice rink before the voters. The reason I'm hoping for a better outcome this time is because by going big in 2019, the city council misjudged the willingness of the community to vote for big expensive projects that do not serve the majority of the population. All residents pay off the bonds as well as for operations and maintenance costs. The city council's decision to go big in 2019 resulted in 64% of the voters saying no. Therefore, the community has gone without an additional recreation facility for four years. What a shame. I'm here tonight requesting that this year you make the tough decisions and place before the voters a reasonably reasonable proposal that will win residents' approval. In my view, an additional recreation center was needed in four, four years ago, and nothing has been done to alleviate that. For many months, I've watched most council members express with dismay their belief that the library is too small for 100,000 residents. This despite the fact that the library is at or near the top of every citizen satisfaction survey conducted in the last 10 years. Is my belief that if you place more than these two facilities before the voters, they will all fail, and that will be a double shame. Finally, I'm hoping to hear tonight of how the arts and entertainment question is considered apples to apples with the other projects questions in the survey. This, the total cost of this project is $104 million, but the question only shows 45 million in city bonding authority. 35 million raised by a partner group, and a gap of 24 million to be made up from other funding sources. What are those other funding sources? Do they exist now? To me, this is a misleading question, 
and I hope that Magellan Strategies can explain this issue tonight. Thank you. Thank you, Gordon. Marta Loachming. Good evening, Mayor Peck and council members and Longmont community. My name is Marta Luchmin. My address is 1246 Lanyon Lane here in Longmont. And I'm here as a resident, a longtime resident of Longmont, but also as an elected official representing District 2 of the Boulder County Board of County Commissioners and representing Longmont as one of my portions of the district. I've stopped by towns and cities over the last five years when I began running for office to share my interest in representing our community. I've stopped by to present issues, concerns, and opportunities most recently in the fall of 2022 at the end of the summer when we were looking at and asking for support around our region for three ballot measures on wildfire mitigation, emergency services, and an extension of the transportation tax that serves all of our county residents. At Boulder County, we have a few upcoming opportunities for participation. And so I wanna make sure Longmont residents are included, represented, and also have an opportunity to be invited as I continue my work. In January, I invited a group of Casey Middle School AVID students to join me in the hearing room and to talk about women in leadership and ask their questions. And we went through, they went through the same similar public process. One of the things that was really important to me when I started was to change the process that doesn't require community members to state their physical address because we heard a lot of fear, a lot of concerns about safety, and a lot of trepidation, but you talked about already tonight, some people just didn't feel supported but also felt in danger. And so we went through that process and they got to tell the name, the city or town that they reside in and share their common idea and question. And it was a powerful experience to literally open doors to youth in our county, to show our public process and welcome students to be a part of it all. How could we invite some Longmont students over to the county courthouse on Pearl? Last fall, voters around the county approved the emergency services ballot measure and after leading that campaign, I am now leading that with our Boulder County Sheriff Curtis Johnson in creating a long-term advisory committee for that tax funding source. How can we get Longmont residents in, who have interest in emergency services, trails and wildland, firefighting work to be able to join this committee? I lead the Consortium of Cities, which is a group of regional elected officials throughout the entire county, including Broomfield City and County. Last year, we touched on a variety of topics, including livable wage, sustainability, gun violence prevention, and other topics. Longmont has a representative. Your city council has a representative. But how could we make sure that our Longmont residents know about that important work and are included in those conversations? I'm working right now on our funding of the Metro Area Football District. We received about $303,000 at the county, and I'm creating also that public process, which will be a short term with less funding, but also wanna make sure that Longmont residents, agencies, youth activity uh, groups have an opportunity. And so my ask here, outside of all of the different government work, the ARPA work, the community engagement work, all those public processes, next to Thrive and Survive program that will address early childhood care as well as small businesses who were completely decimated during COVID-19, if we remember three years from now, or three years before now. How can we get those applications out to Longmont residents so that they can participate at a county level? Last year, we met as a Board of County Commissioners with the City Council, and we're planning to do that this fall. I wanna thank you each for your work, and we'll see you then. Thank you very much, Marta. Jessica Miller? 
is Jessica Miller here. Hi, this, this will be very brief. Um, uh, 1018 Third Avenue here in Longmont. Thank you for the opportunity to speak. This is regarding the uh, Performing Arts Center. And um, I just wanted to emphasize, you know, I grew up in a small town, first of all, um, in North Carolina. We had a Performing Arts Center there in that town. Uh, there were play productions, um, musicals, um, my father happened to be a director of uh, plays. He wrote plays, um, was in some of them. And uh, my mother also was active in choral events that went on there. And the high school I was at, we got to participate at times in choral events. And I played in band also, and I'm still a musician now. And I'm telling you, music has made an immense difference through my whole life. I know I would not be who I am now, and the doors that have opened through all the years as a performer, and um, being able to, I mean, to people I have run across through my life, this inspires people, whether it's theater, it's music, um, you touch hearts, and even um, I was fortunate enough, um, one of my uncles, he, happened to be, he happens to be a, a professional opera singer. He's been in the Metropolitan Opera. I mean, he travels all over the world. So as a kid, I had him as an example. And he inspired me with starting to get somewhere with my music. And you start, I mean, you plant seeds and then doors open. And I was just, I mean, I wouldn't be who I am now and I still have goals for my future in music, and I know I've got the skills. My point being, having a center built, the seeds it can plant in kids, whether it's for theater, uh, dancing, um, music, being, in, being a musician, the difference it'll make in a kid's life and who they can become later it's, it's priceless. It is priceless. <laughs> so, uh, and um, I will point out one last thing before I run out of time. <laughs> um, I mean, I have dealt with a disability since I was in elementary school. It is still a challenge in my life now, to a degree, but part of how I've been able to also get it under management, I, I have realized over time, Music has made the difference. Music has made the difference. So there could be kids out there, I'm just pointing out, who it'll make a difference in their lives. Thank you, Jessica. Polly Christensen. Uh, Mayor and City Council members, um, I'm Polly Christensen, 410 Judson Street. I'm far less inspirational than the previous speaker, but I'm coming to speak to you about item 9H R202326 about the petition for annexing 150 Francis Street. 
Um, I realize that you are just trying to determine whether it meets the revised statute um, 3112, but to me, we need to take more time with this. I objected to it when I was on city council to this annexation because, number one, it makes the street adjacent to the city, city uh, adjacent to the property, city property, which, um, which will likely be paved. No one on that street wants it paved. They moved there to be out, to be, to have certain amount of freedom and that's what they would like to preserve. So I consider this a, a taking by one um, uh, landlord who owns the property and lives in New York City and he's taking away the right for the people who also live on that street to live the way they want. Um, it isn't really just that house because as I say, it changes the nature of that street and now as we can see, it changes the nature also of northern, uh, a portion of Spruce Street. So we're talking about two streets that will be now annexed into the city. Um, it rezones it automatically from suburban residential into mixed use residential, which includes commercial. That was not something that anyone um, in the adjacent properties had a choice about. That's simply what will happen if this is approved. It is adjacent to the proposed Bone Farm 70 condo development that needs another exit desperately. That means that if that uh, property owner in New York City wants to, he can sell it to them and demo the building and turn that into a street which connects very handily to the, um, the, the, the Bone family the Bone Farm uh, neighborhood development and turns that Lower Francis Street into a high traffic uh, street, spilling out onto Spruce and Third Avenue. Uh, I realize you probably think I've joined the Twin Hat Brigade and filled with conspiracy theories, but to me, imagining that this is about a sectic conversion is naive or disingenuous. It totally changes the neighborhood. Uh, this was not unanimously approved when it was annexed before. Uh, there will be two more public hearings. Thank you, Polly. Lance Whitaker. City Council once again standing here is or my name is Lance Whitaker 1750 Collier Street Longmont Colorado been a long-term resident over 40 years um, I'm supporting House Bill 19-1230 for cannabis hospitality here in Longmont I'm wishing to start a cannabis comedy club here in Longmont as you've heard before People are begging for arts and culture here in Longmont, and I'm willing to spend the money to bring them some of that arts and culture and even a place to play. Um, a 
course, a lot of things come with expenses, and I have to look after my business, and I will not be fighting the Fed, so our time is short. Um, interest rates are rising, inflation is rising. My opportunity to start a new business is rapidly closing. Um, today is World Down Syndrome Day. So uh, hopefully a extra hug for the councilwoman's um, kid. And it is also National French Bread Day today. Thank you, Mayor and Council. Thank you, Lance. Time. Thank you. Seeing no one else on the list, I'm going. Mayor Strider. Yep. Is he? He was. Yeah, we skipped him. But he's. How could I skip Strider? I don't know. Come on up, Strider. Oh, he is there. I thought Lance was going to mention today is National Poetry Day. And so I tried to find one of my old poems. And uh, 58 years ago, oh, Strider Benston, uh, uh, 58 years ago tonight, I was in charge of internal security for the March on Montgomery, and we were in Lowndes County, Alabama, and you can see uh, MSNBC's got an hour show Sunday about Lowndes County. It's the worst county in, in the United States. I worked in uh, that county, uh, and um, so... Anyway, I uh, couldn't find my poem, but I had to reconstruct it, uh, justifying. Now, some folks take a peek and say, I've done right well for walking 40 years in this downright hell. Some say my voice sounded mighty strong for to set the rulers shaking on their golden throne. Some say I sang aloud a powerful song for a set of people's crying for an end to wrong. But I wished I could have did it just a little bit more so we never have to worry about no damn war and the little children playing in the evening breeze. We'll never have to go a-begging on their knees while their sister and their brother just got to say, I'm sorry, can't help you. Got to earn my pay because the master got to have another condo on the beach. So I keep the things we need just a bit out of reach. We sweat and we strain and we slave all day. Ain't got no time to think about a better way. And I fret about the ones that's too afraid to cry or to see the sun is shining in the noonday sky. They keep a tapping out the numbers and a punching out the keys to keep the money grubbers grubbing out the poor folks' needs. They talk so loud and long about the land of the free till we can't believe our souls is bound in slavery. So we try to talk, so we try to, uh, so, so we, so we try to obey the rules and, um, so, uh, uh, so we try to toe the line to follow all the rules. We even take instruction in the business schools. And they whoop us and they trick us. But their biggest sin is when they condescend to wanting to be just like them. So if we study and we practice and so we make the grade, 
Then they'll give us a position, say we're highly paid. And as we rake in all the dollars from the games we got to play, we got to keep on justifying till the judgment day. Oh, that was powerful. Thank you, Strider. Now there is no one on the list. <laughs> so I'm going to close first call public invited to be heard. Do we need a, a break up here? Mayor, before we do that, I wondered, we um, skipped agenda item five. I wondered if you wanted to just catch, pick that one up real quickly. Oh, because you, okay. Just in case. I agree. Thank, Thank you. you. So uh, there's going to be an agenda revision. Item 12B uh, has a revised document and um, that's, the staff is going to pull that. So do we have any motions to direct the city manager to add agenda items to future agendas? Seeing none, we will close that and move on to, um, does anyone up here need a break? Yes, no. no. Okay, thank you. Then we'll move on to the consent agenda and introduction and reading by title of the first reading ordinances. Don, would you read the ordinances into the agenda, into record? I will, Mayor Peck. Ordinances approved on consent tonight will have second reading and public hearing on April 11th, 2023. Item 9A is Ordinance 2023-14, a bill for an ordinance making additional appropriations for expenses and liabilities of the City of Longmont for the fiscal year beginning January 1st, 2023. 9B is Ordinance 2023-15, a bill for an ordinance conditionally approving the vacation of a portion of a utility easement within the boundaries of Lot 1 of Longs Peak Business Park, Sunset Diagonal Business Park, Biner Subdivision D, generally located at 2005 Sunset Way. Item 9C is Resolution 2023-19, a resolution of the Longmont City Council approving the intergovernmental agreement between the City of Longmont and the Colorado Army National Guard for aerial firefighting training at Button Rock Preserve. 9D is Resolution 2023-20, a resolution, of the Longmont, a resolution of the City of Longmont, Colorado, authorizing the assignment of the City's private activity bond allocation for 2023 to the Housing Authority of the City of Longmont, Colorado, providing other details in connection therewith and providing an effective date. 9E is Resolution 2023-21, a resolution of the Longmont City Council authorizing agreements between the City of Longmont and the County of Boulder for the purchase of right-of-way located along South Hover Street. 9F has three resolutions for Quiet Zone Crossing Safety Improvement Project. Uh, 9F1 is Resolution 2023-22, a resolution of the Longmont City Council approving the revocable license agreement between the City of Longmont and BNSF Railway Company for construction of crossing signal improvements at the intersection of 3rd Avenue and Atwood Street. 9F2, Resolution 2023-23, a resolution of the Longmont City Council approving the revocable license agreement between the City of Longmont and BNSF Railway Company for construction of crossing signal improvements along 9th Avenue. Resolution 2023-24 is a resolution of the Longmont City Council approving the revocable license agreement between the City of Longmont and BNSF Railway Company for construction of crossing signal improvements at the intersection of Longs Peak Avenue and Atwood Street. Item 9G is Resolution 2023-25, a resolution of the Longmont City Council approving the First Amendment to the Intergovernmental Agreement between the City of Longmont and the Colorado Department of Transportation for state funding for County Line Road shoulder improvements. 9H is Resolution 2023-26. A resolution of the Council of the City of Longmont, Colorado 
finding that the petition, sorry about that, finding that the petition for annexation of certain parcels of land located in Boulder County, State of Colorado, known as the 150 Francis Street Annexation, generally located in the southeast corner of Section 4, Township 2 North, Range 69 West of the 6th PM, substantially complies with the Colorado Revised Statute, Section 3112-1071. And 9-I is Resolution 2023-27, a resolution of the Longmont City Council approving the amended intergovernmental agreement between the City of Longmont and the County of Boulder for a conservation easement over the Adam Dairy Farm property. And Mayor Staff would like to pull 9C. Okay, thank regarding you. Regarding the uh, Army National Guard item, thank you. Are there any other items that Council would like to pull? Uh, Councilor Martin. Thank you, Mayor Peck. I would like to pull item F just for a question. Okay, and I am going to pull 9H. So um, I would like to move the consent agenda then, minus 9H, 9F, and C. So I've moved uh, the consent agenda minus the items that are being pulled. That's been seconded by uh, Councillor Hidalgo Ferry. Let's vote. that passes unanimously thank you we're now on ordinance on second reading and public hearings on any matter the first one is a public hearing on consolidated annual performance report which is called caper for 2022 community development block grant CDBG and CDBG CV COVID programs are there any questions from Council on this uh, item Seeing none, I would like to open the public hearing on the consolidated annual performance report to the public. Is there anyone in the public that would like to talk on this item? Seeing none, I'll close the public uh, hearing. Can I have a motion to pass this? Really? Do you need to present? It, Mayor Council, Molly does need to present, or we're on the CDBG. Oh, you have a presentation yes, on this? Yes, because of the public hearing. Oh, okay. Hi, Molly. Well, sorry about that. I didn't jump right out. There we go. Okay. Mayor and Council, thank you. Molly O'Donnell. Um, I am the housing director for Longmont, and I want to introduce Deb Calise over here. She's the housing investment manager, and in the last, midway through the last year, she joined our team and led the CDBG team and the affordable housing program team for these accomplishments that we're going to report out tonight. So first, we wanted to go over our accomplishments in the rehab program. We hired a new coordinator position to, to manage that program in May 2022. Um, he really helped to launch the program. This is Adam Sanderson. I'm going to introduce him as well. He's not here tonight. 
Um, the program ahead of that was limited to emergency rehabs due to COVID. And so um, bringing him on board really helped us launch the program back to its full strength. Um, in just from July to the end of the year, we ended up providing $141,232 in uh, pr rehab program assistance to our residents here in Longmont. 15 households were able to be assist assisted. This is an increase of certainly from the COVID years. Um, and really, in a half a year, this is a really great accomplishment compared to years past with what we've been able to do. So he's really been an asset to that team um, in revamping the program and making it more attractive and accessible for our residents. I will note that um, our average uh, cost per rehab project has been increasing year over year, but this last year was quite significant at 26%. In our public service category for our CDBG program, we um, awarded and expended $50,000 to the Boulder County Housing Program um, that had some funds leveraged and 205 residents uh, were uh, benefited from that program because of this funding. And we also granted $30,206 to Entrepreneurship for All and we expended that full amount that was helping their administrative and staffing costs in order to operate their educational programs for um, uh, new entrepreneurs, specifically serving those that are underrepresented in entrepreneurship in our community. So 64 residents were assisted because of this funding and there was additional funding leveraged as well. In um, our grants to our partners, the Crispin II land acquisition, we spent $402,916 on out of the CDBG program. That's complete. Those 83 new affordable rental homes are being constructed as if you've driven by, they have their second building going up. Um, and so I'm, every time I drive by on my way home, I enjoy seeing the progress. And that project leveraged $30 million and change. That means that um, that the $400,000 brought in from the city brought $30 million into our community from other sources. We also helped the Imagine group home um, that um, houses six, yes, I believe it's six um, folks with intellectual and developmental disabilities. We helped them make some accessibility improvements to their, to their restrooms. And that project's complete. Uh, we did several grants to the Longmont Housing Authority, all of which are still in progress and would be complete this spring. Um, so that's the LHA security cameras at several properties, the Aspen Meadows neighborhood playground replacement, and the parking lot repair and accessibility improvements at the Hover Crossing campus. So all of these carried forward into 2023 and are going to be happening um, as soon as we complete the procurement process and open up the season for um, the parking lot work specifically. We're also operating the CDBG CV funding. This is um, COVID-related funding, a special program that's a, uh, for a limited duration. Um, the main, well, the key <laughs> uh, project that we funded in 2022 was the Fresh Start Utility Billing Assistance Program. Um, we ended up spending $241,328, and that includes a little bit of our regular CDBG, but the balance was out of the CV program 
to support our households in Longmont that were at risk of housing instability um, based at, or, or of utility shutoffs due to the inability to pay their bills. Um, this helped 169 households in 2022, and we are still going strong into 2023 with the anticipation that we'll ex exhaust the funding in mid-year. So here's just some key facts on our CDBG program. We serve 459 households overall. Um, we, spend it, we expended 65% of those funds this year. Um, last year was hard, more difficult to spend because of COVID, and in 2020, um, there was an initial um, good progress because of some of those immediate COVID needs, but then it did slow down from that point on. So we've, we're doing great this year compared to the last several. Um, we expended about 28% of our CV funds this year. We are in total 44% complete, so we do have a good amount of work to do um, in 2023 and beyond. Uh, we met our timeliness ratio in 2022, so HUD requires that you don't sit on too much money, essentially. Um, and so you can only have 1.5 times your amount of annual funding um, in sitting from prior years, including your current year at one time. So we were over last year, just barely. And so we were at risk of some compliance action if we didn't make it in 2022. But we actually went well above and beyond in 2022 and made it down to the 1.3 ratio. So we're looking good. Um, we leveraged over $31 million in other funding sources. So that means for every dollar that CDBG funds supported, $35.11 was brought into our community in terms of, um, in forms of other investments. 20% of our funding this year was spent on admin. That's kind of a typically boring fact, but it's really trying to make um, the, it very clear that we are maxing out our admin um, and what it takes to operate this program is really more than what we're allowed. And then finally, 99.2% of our funding benefited low and moderate income residents, so those making less than 80% of area median income. This is the, the facts and figures here. So you can see that the key ones are the far left bar, what we had unexpended in 2021, versus what we have now on the far right bar, unexpended in 2022. So really that goal is to get the money out the door, and that happened in 2022. So this is a follow-up on a slide that presented last year on why CDBG funds were difficult to spend in 2021. And it just updates in the red there um, what we ended up accomplishing. So we think that we accomplished each of those large needs that we needed to make happen in order to get our program spending money at a good rate. So here are looking at some um, facts and figures on equity and inclusion and those that we serve. So I've already mentioned how many low and moderate income beneficiaries we served in 2022, but again, 99.2% of the 459 households were in that category. 53% of those were in the extremely low income category. 47% had female heads of households. 39% identify as Latina or Hispanic. 13% were disabled households. And those are those facts and figures are shown here. And then I wanted to dig in a little bit on our racial equity. So what you can see here is 2021 ACS data compared to those that were served with our CDBG program. And so the, in the right column, you can see whether we are 
serving more than what our, our Longmont population uh, makeup is, or red means less. So we are matching or over-serving, and now over-serving isn't always, isn't meant to be um, a negative connotation, but we are definitely serving more CDBG households than our representative population for um, the categories white, black or African American, American Indian, Alaskan Native, and Native Hawaiian or other Pacific Islander. Oh, and, and Hispanic, Spanish-speaking families. That's not in our racial category, but we thought that it was important to highlight here. And then where we need to do better to meet our representative population is in the categories of Asian and other multi-race. But I would say that the percentages are not, there isn't a very significant disparity, um, but we can do some outreach to try and improve that. Uh, moving to our affordable housing program. So the, the public hearing is specifically on the CDBG funding. This is what we're required to present on to you. But this is our annual report for our affordable housing program as well. So it's beneficial to include together. We are continuing to um, rehab the Adrian House is what we call it. It's a city-owned property. It's kind of a pilot project for us to see if we can um, use our resources to rehab housing that the city already owns and then um, have the LHA operate that. So this one was unique because it's a large house, which is really difficult to find in our rental market. And um, we have definitely some voucher holder families that um, are in need and looking. And so this was kind of our pilot project to see how this goes. Um, we have spent $184,750 to date to rehab that house. It is a 100-year-old house. Um, but it is five bedrooms. And so that's really unique in our community. Um, for Christmas two, we've, we uh, committed $600,000 and expended, I should say, $600,000 out of this fund. And that is, we've already reported on where that's going right now. Um, for the Zinnia project, this is our, the permanent supportive housing project that will be over at the, the Sunset Campus. Um, we completed $509,212 um, in affordable housing fund assistance to get them through pre-development loans and um, get them to that tax credit award point in time. And then upcoming in May, we'll have the closing on those tax credits. So those will be repaid at that time and construction's beginning in June. We provided $297,823 in fee offsets for three affordable rental developments that added 143 units to our stock. Those will include the Spoke at a Boulder County Housing Authority, Longmont Family Apartments, which is also the Fields on 15th, thank you. It's had several names over the time, over the time that it was in entitlement. And then the senior, Simmon Park Senior Housing. So we supported each of those developments getting their uh, building permit fees offset. And then this is what we have still carrying over from 2022 to 2023. Um, we've actually already uh, provided the payment to Habitat for Humanity, but it'll be counted in our 23 numbers. That's for the infrastructure for that East Rogers Road um, property that's over um, east of here, close to third. This has occurred already, and it is gonna support nine for sale affordable units. Um, we are continuing to make our $300,000 uh, 
um, a purchase, um, fund transfer per year over a five-year period to support the nine acres that was bought south of the Costco development for the purpose of affordable housing. And we're, we're still working on potential development concepts. That's all in, in the works still for that. And then we have some fee offsets scheduled for this next year as well. We're going to be helping out the Habitat for, for Humanity as they pay for their building permits and Christman too as well. That's the building, building permits have been um, issued and that payment is just pending to Public Works to offset that fee. So in our accomplishments, we, we put out two competitive cycles in the year. We had 11 total applications and um, reviewed. Two projects were approved for affordable housing funding and five for CDBG. Um, we collected $469,294 in fee in lieu. So that is definitely an increase from prior years. We're seeing that program start to result in some good revenues coming in. And our 2023 projections are, are higher than that. And then we've done a lot of process improvements on the inside. Having this full team with fresh perspective, it's just been really beneficial. We're trying to bring our program into modern age. So we are working with a grant management software that's really going to change how we operate going forward and make our application process a lot easier for, for those that would like to apply for our funds. Uh, so just in terms of our, 12, 12, our progress on our 12% goal for affordable housing in Longmont, um, we are up to 2,657 units, and that means we still have 2,743 to make it to that goal, um, but we did in, uh, result in 205 new units this year, so above that 200 per unit per year threshold that will be necessary to get there. Um, and then we continued our participation in the Regional um, Affordable Housing Partnership. Longmont got staffed up mid-year. Uh, City of Boulder and Boulder County were also working on staffing challenges and are just now feeling staffed up, um, including a dedicated person to uh, run our Regional Housing Partnership. So we're doing a lot of outreach with the smaller Boulder County municipalities to help with inclusionary housing compliance for those that have new ordinances. Um, we're starting to figure out some engagement activities that we'd like to do over the next year or two, and we coordinated on our ARPA proposals associated with affordable housing. Okay, we are ready for the public hearing. I welcome any questions. Um, yeah, thank you. Do we have any questions for uh, Molly, both from the public and council? Seeing none, Molly, thank you so much. Thank you. I am. Okay, so that motion has been made by Councillor Waters, seconded by Councillor McCoy. Let's vote. So she's in favor, so that passes unanimously. Thank you. 
the next one is an amendment to the Land Development Code, Section 15.02.080, regarding administrative modifications, and Section 15.05.120, regarding mixed-use and non-residential design standard amendments to include industrial building design standards. Um, are there any questions from Council on this amendment? Seeing none, I'll open it up to the public. Is there anybody from the public that would like to address this amendment? Harold, do we have a presentation? No presentation. So, can I have a motion then? On ordinance 2023-10. So it's been moved by Mayor Pro Tem Rodriguez, seconded by Councillor Martin. Let's vote. Thank you. Our next one is uh, Ordinance 0, 2023 10. 11. So um, the one that we just passed was not uh, 2023 10. Okay. So 2023-11 is a bill for an ordinance amending Chapter 15.05, Section 15.05.120 of the Longmont Municipal Code on mixed-use and non-residential design standards. Is anybody on council that has uh, Councilor Martin? Okay, I need to open this up to the public. Is there anybody in the public that would like to address this ordinance? Seeing no one, I'll close the public hearing. Now you can make your motion. So it is. Go ahead. Didn't make the motion. I know. I'm waiting. I can't see it anymore. Um, <laughs> it is. Uh, it's ordinance. I move ordinance Z uh, O uh, 2023 So that that ordinance has been moved by Councillor Martin and seconded by Councillor Hidalgo Faring. Let's vote. Ordinance 2023-12 is a bill for an ordinance authorizing the City of Longmont to lease the real property known as Vance Brand Municipal Airport Hangar Parcel H-1A, the premises, to Warren, J. Rimp Warren K. Rimple, the tenant. Mary, Are there any I'm sorry, before we go, I just want to make sure that you read the result of 11. Which oh, that carried, the, uh, yeah. that passed unanimously. Thank you, Don. So are there any questions from council on ordinance 2023-12? Seeing none, I'll open it up to the public. Is there anybody in the public that would like to address ordinance 2023-12? Seeing no one, I'll close the public hearing. Uh, may I have a motion? Move ordinance 2023. Second. So uh, Councillor Martin, I'm sorry, Councillor Waters moved 2023-12. That's been seconded by Councillor Martin. Um, let's vote. That passes unanimously. Ordinance 2023-13 is a bill for an ordinance authorizing the City of Longmont to lease the real property known as Vance Brand Municipal Airport Hangar Parcel H-11, the premises, to Longmont Executive Hangars LI Association Incorporated, the tenant. 
Are there any questions from council on this ordinance? Seeing none, I'll open up the uh, public hearing on Ordinance 2023-13. Seeing no one, um, may I have a motion? I'll move Ordinance 2023-13. Second. So it's been moved by Councillor Hidalgo Faring, seconded by Councillor Martin. Let's vote. That carries unanimously. Now we're at the items removed from the consent agenda, and the first one would be C, 9C. Mayor and Council, David Bell, Director of Parks and Natural Resources, um, here to provide a little input on the Council for the IGA with the National Guard. Our intent was to take that um, IGA to the Water Board last night, bring it back with that recommendation from Water Board. If we didn't receive that recommendation, we would pull it from the items and tell you why we did not receive it. We did not receive it last night because Water Board was canceled. Mm -hmm. um, in the past, Water Board has supported this. Staff still does support it. We feel it's a um, valuable training for our local and statewide firefighters, and we would ask that Council still move this forward. Thank you. Okay, thank you. So I'm going to move our 2023-19. So thank you. Uh, I move 2023-19, seconded by Councillor Martin. Let's vote. That passes unanimously. Councillor Martin, you pulled uh, 9F. Thank you, Mayor Peck. Um, yes, I just have a, a quick question about this because uh, uh, the, the three crossings that are slated for uh, uh, working being worked in 2023 are not adjacent to one another. And it's been my understanding that we get the best sound mitigation when multiple crossings are adjacent to one another. So I would like to ask why we don't do them in, a, in a consecutive strips rather than skipping in crossings. Mayor Peck, Councilman Martin, um, these are the, the, the agreements and the, the, the layout of the project. This is what we could get through BNSF in the first go round. These are the easiest, this is the, some of the easiest crossings to do. And as we work through with them, um, these are the ones we could achieve. Um, it, it, is, it is a long, long road we're going through. Um, who knew there would be this much paperwork on a project? Um, but that's what we could get through, and that's what we've been able to accomplish for the first round. The other ones we'll fill in uh, next year. We are already working on those, so we should anticipate we're going to go to construction on the city improvements later this year. Hopefully early next year we'll be starting this the second round um, to start filling those in. Push. Thank you. Um, so uh, you're saying that it would have been better to do them consecutively, but because of the amount of, of work that BNSF would have to do, we took what we could get them to work on. That is correct. Thank you very much. Councillor Martin, do you want to move all three of these, please? One by one. I move resolution 02322. It's an R, sorry. R, council member, thank Didn't you. Didn't I say R? No, you I said O. Thank you. I said O, yes, I did, sorry. So, Councillor Martin, uh, may I have a second, please? Okay, 
Councillor Martin uh, moved R 2023-22, and that was seconded by Councillor Yarbrough. Let's vote. That carries unanimously. Um, and I move uh, R 2023-23. So that uh, Councillor Martin moved R 2023-23, seconded by Councillor Hidalgo Faring. Let's vote. That passed unanimously. And finally, I move R 2023-24. I'll second that. Um, so Councilor Martin moved R 2023 to 20, I'm sorry, I'll say it again, R-2023-24, and um, I seconded that. Let's vote. That passed unanimously. And I pulled uh, 9H. And I have a question, and uh, then I would like an explanation. So first of all, hello. Hello, Mayor. <laughs> um, when we have an annexation, are the surrounding residences on that annexation, uh, are they told about this agreement or the request for annexation? Yes, we have a notification requirement. Uh, all property owners within a thousand feet of the perimeter of the property proposed for annexation are notified multiple times. Uh, the first time was, uh, I think it was the summer of 21 when there was a neighborhood meeting held. Um, and then subsequent to that, the, when the notice of application, uh, I believe that was the fall of 21. And then subsequent, we did a re-notice because there had been, there'd been a fairly substantial lag uh, between reviews. Um, and so we did a re-notice in January of all the surrounding property owners to, to let them know of the proposed uh, request. And then um, we also did a notice before the Plan Zoning Commission hearing. So there's been four notices that have been sent out to all the property owners within a thousand feet of the perimeter of this property. And can you tell me what the feedback on those notices were? What was the... Uh you know, um, it's been minimal. Um, you know, a few inquiries about what the request is for. Um, I can tell you, uh, at least at this point in time, uh, based on the discussions and the information that we've had from the property owners, is that uh, there's a couple homes on the, on the property. Um, one was built, I believe, in around 1930. The other was built around 1977. Um, they're both on a septic system that's over 50 years old. They have concerns and they'd prefer to annex into the city and, and when it's available, hook on to the city's uh, sewer system. Um, they have no development plans at this point in time anyway. Um, but um, in terms of feedback from some of the property owners, you know, there was actually only one, one person that participated in the neighborhood meeting. They just had some interest because they have a vacant parcel on the west side of Francis Street that's unincorporated and they would like to eventually at some point in time annex their property into the city as well. So they had, they had some questions about the timing of infrastructure improvements and what would it take for them to be able to develop their property. Uh, with the most recent re-notice um, of the application in January, we had a couple of inquiries and I think it probably 
part of it was because of the bond farm mm -hmm. uh, proposal that's going through the review process right now. They, one of the questions was whether or not this, this particular annexation was related to the bond farm proposal, which it isn't, um, and if there was any development proposed at the time, which there is not. And then I, another gentleman called and just expressed some concerns about traffic on Spruce Avenue. And I relayed that there really wasn't any proposed development on this uh, the, this proposed annexation at this point in time, so it wouldn't create any additional traffic on Spruce Avenue. Um, and um, at the time when the Plan Zoning Commission reviewed this on February 15th, uh, there was no members, I don't think there was any members of the public that spoke under the public hearing. Okay. And um, when we annex these enclaves, is it a mandatory uh, annexation that the city mandatory, mandatorily uh, annexes county property? Um, Harold, you can probably so, answer this better or whatever. So, Mayor, you may recall, uh, at least some of you on council may recall, um, I believe it was early 2019, yep. we brought to city council uh, some information about the possibility of annexing uh, all of the various enclaves in the community. Um, and there was, I think there was like 27 different areas um, around the city that comprised what was considered, considered enclaves, which are completely surrounded by the city limits. And I can't remember exactly the number of property owners, but it was 150 to 200 property owners that were within the, those 27, approximately 27 area, areas that comprise those enclaves. And at the time when we asked council about kind of policy direction about moving forward with the enclave annexations, a council's direction at that time was that unless the property owners were interested in being annexed into the city, we really didn't want to move forward with annexation of those properties. And so we did some outreach uh, it was kind of a mixed bag on whether or not some of the property owners were interested. Quite a few were not. So we ended up really, we didn't move forward with that project in terms of kind of a city-initiated enclave annexation because there wasn't enough property owner interest at that time to move forward based on council direction. So this property owner asked to be annexed into the city? That's correct. And okay. I, as I mentioned, the, the primary reason, at least at this point in time, is because of their septic system. They have some concerns about that. And they would like to eventually hook on to the city's sewer system when it becomes available. Okay. Thank you. That Thank answers my questions. Thank you. So with that, I'm going to move our 2023. Oh, you do. Sorry. I'm sorry, Sean. Before, before you leave there, thank you, Mayor. Uh, before you leave, Brian, yeah. uh, we had a member of the public uh, that uh, came forward uh, talking about uh, the potentiality of uh, this opening up uh, uh, better access for a second uh, uh, way in or out for Bond Farm if that all goes through. Can you talk a little bit about that, if I understand what that member of the public is asking? Sure, Councilmember McCoy. Um, there is an application in process um, on the property to the east um, on the bond farm um, and it's going through a concept plan amendment process. Um, currently their, their um, development proposal 
uh, shows two access points to Spruce Avenue, which would meet our um, transportation and emergency access requirements without necessarily having to have a connection through this particular property over to Francis Street. Um, I believe currently on that concept plan amendment proposal that it's also showing, as you may recall, with the Bond Farm property, there was a small uh, portion of the property that was reserved for a city uh, neighborhood park, a small neighborhood park about, I believe it was like 0.85 acres. And right now, um, the western portion of the Bond Farm parcel shows that neighborhood park on the western side, which wouldn't really necessarily allow for a connection between the Bond Farm development through this property over to Francis Street because it would end up going through the neighborhood park. And could that change? Uh, sure, anything I mean, so could change the process. So they, they could come in with a different uh, 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 proposal and access this through the, the Francis Street. Uh, if if, uh, if the uh, neighbors there were you know, open to that or selling their property or whatever. If this particular property owner from 150 Francis was considering um, potentially selling their property, I, I guess potentially that could happen. All right, thank you. Certainly. Seeing no other questions from council, uh, I'm going to move R 2023-26. So that's been seconded by Councillor Martin. Let's vote. That passes unanimously. Thank you. Yeah. It wasn't pulled. It was moved. Do we need a break at this point? Okay, thank you. Five minute break.
So we're back in session, and we need to adjourn as the Longmont City Council and convene as the Longmont Housing Authority Board of Commissioners. Thank you. So I moved that we uh, adjourn as the Longmont City Council and convene as the Longmont Housing Authority Board of Commissioners. And um, Councillor Yarbrough seconded that. Let's vote as soon as I get my screen back. Okay. I'm a yes. Okay, yeah, it didn't show up, so that carried unanimously. Um, and we have on, is this for you again, Molly? The LHA special meeting item is resolution 2023-12, authorizing the acceptance by the authority of the assignment of $5,990,711 of the City of Longmont's private activity bond allocation for 2023. Um, chair. And commissioners, yeah. um, I just want to, we don't have a presentation for these two items, but just wanted to remind you these are both for the resyndication of Village Place. Uh, okay. And you have other items that you've seen as the Housing Authority Commission and that you've seen in your role as, a, as the Housing Authority in, turn, in, in moving to that resyndication. Just really quick, wanted to say this is a property that when it was originally acquired via the tax credit process, um, it was basically basically an acquisition with no capital improvements into that project. Um, it's now been around 30 years, um, and we need to make some capital improvements, which is why we're going through the resyndication on this project. Um, we know that um, they are discouraging the 15-year resyndication model, but because of what occurred in the original acquisition, we're coming in at this time. Okay, great. Do we have any discussion by any other counselors on this? Yes. Seeing none, I'm going, do I have a motion? Okay. So the 2023-12 resolution has been moved by uh, Commissioner McCoy and seconded by Commissioner Hidalgo Faring. Let's vote. That carries unanimously. The second resolution is 2023-13, approving certain matters in connection with Village Place Apartments. Do you have a presentation on this one? Amendment. Sure. We just wanted to notify you that there's an amended um, document that's attached to this item. It's the purchase and sale agreement. Um, the only amendment in there that came through yesterday was to make sure we have a qualifier in there for environmental review because we have to make sure we complete that before we execute fully. Okay, thank you for that explanation. Can I have a motion to move resolution 2023-13? So that 2023-13 has been moved by Councillor Martin and Commissioner, I'm sorry, Commissioner Martin and seconded by 
Commissioner Yarbrough. I, let's vote. That passes unanimously. Okay, let's vote. The motion's been moved by uh, Commissioner Rod Rodriguez, seconded by Commissioner McCoy. So that carries unanimously. We are now going to have a presentation of the results of the Library, Recreation, and Cultural Facilities poll conducted by Magellan Strategies. Mayor Peck and members of council, Joni Marsh, Assistant City Manager. So I'm going to introduce Ryan Winger with Magellan Strategies. Ryan is the Director of Data Analysis and Campaign Consulting, and Ryan is going to go through the results of the polling we did. And Becky is also going to sit up here to be able to answer questions as we go through this this evening. Uh, thanks for the introduction, Joni. Uh, as Joni said, I am uh, Ryan Winger with Magellan Strategies. We are a public opinion research firm based out of uh, Louisville. And um, actually, I grew up in Longmont, graduated from Longmont High in 2005. So uh, just uh, not approaching this as someone who's entirely unfamiliar with the city, although I know it's changed a lot in that nearly 20 years. Um, but I do hope that the data that we have uh, for you here all uh, proves useful, and let's dig into it. So uh, again, we're just pleased to present the results of an online survey of over 2,800 residents of Longmont conducted from February 22nd to March 8th, 2023. Uh, on the left side there, you can see an example of a text message that was sent to a sample of 30,000 registered voters within Longmont. And the city also shared a link to the survey on the website and social media pages. And I know that there was some, uh, a, just a little bit of concern about kind of mixing both of those methods. What I can say is that when we're doing a survey and asking about projects that are important to different parts of the community, we, we just found it's good practice to give everyone a chance to participate in the survey, and then we can weight it appropriately to match the, the expected demographics of a November election. And so that's how we arrived at the 2,842 completed respondents. You see there the margin of error is, is 1.8% at the 95% confidence interval, which basically means that 95% of the time when you see a number up here, we would expect the truth to be 1.8% on either side of it. Though when you look at subgroups of the population, they're obviously gonna have a higher margin of error. And again, the survey results are weighted to be representative of odd year voting demographics in Longmont. And I'll touch on those here in a minute. Just have a ward map here. You all are familiar with this, but stuck it in the presentation just for anyone uh, who is not, because dealing with some of these questions, the ward turns out to be pretty important because some of these facilities are located within certain wards, uh, which kind of goes without saying. And I know this may be kind of hard for you all to see. Hopefully you've had a chance to kind of look at this, but this is basically a breakdown of not only voter registration in Longmont, but more importantly, uh, past turnout demographics for November elections. And what you can see here in, in that red box is the most recent odd year election, which we consider to be the most comparable election to what to expect this year. The things that really stick out, obviously, when you compare it to a 
presidential year or a midterm year, basically the even years, year elections, is that we do expect turnout to be much older, right? So you see 37% of the vote in 2021 came from voters age 65 and older, right? So that's, that's an important uh, difference. And then when you look at 18 to 34, it's all the way down at 14%, whereas in a presidential year, you see it all the way up uh, nearly 26%. So those age demographics are really going to be key, and and just it's and I I should say this isn't and and you'll probably see by the the totals here this isn't some kind of exit poll or or some guess this is taken directly from a voter file, basically on the day of the election in 2021 is where we're getting this data. So getting right into it as as kind of an icebreaker question before we asked about potential projects, uh, staff had asked us to just have a basic use of existing recreation and cultural facilities question, um, asking respondents how often they or someone in their family visits each of these facilities. This is kind of rated, uh, this is ranked by those who visit them most frequently. You see there at the top is the library, 30% said they uh, visit the library a few times a month. 18% um, visit the rec center, the Quail campus, uh, three, a few times a month, and on down the list, Sunset Pool, Union Reservoir, the golf courses, those are the ones that were over 10%. On the text survey only, we wanted to have a breakout, again, just of those who received the text uh, from the random sample that we pulled. But you see, it's very similar data here. The library, again, there is at the top, the rec center, Sunset Pool, Union Reservoir, and the city golf courses were the ones that were where over 10% of respondents visit at least a few times a month. So getting away from whether they personally or someone in their family uses the facilities, we asked a different question asking them to rank the facilities based on their value and importance to all Longmont residents in the wider community, right? So ranking facility number one indicates it provides the most value. Ranking at 11 indicates it provides the least value. And this is kind of where we uh, had them ranked. There you see one through three or 70% 70 or 70 of respondents ranked the library as one through three and the rec center at 56% was the next highest. And then there's kind of a drop off there. So clearly those two kind of rose above the rest in terms of their value and importance among respondents. And then the other thing I'll point out is the other end of it where we're talking those who rank 10 or 11, the golf courses 39%. Uh, Roosevelt Park outdoor ice rink, 34%, and then the St. Brand Memorial Building, 32%. Those were the facilities most likely to be ranked at the bottom. On the text survey only, you still see those two there at the top, 64% rated the library, one through three, and 55% the rec center. And also those same three uh, were, were most likely to be labeled uh, or to ranked as 10 or 11. 38% with the golf courses, 32 the St. Brand Memorial Building, and 30% the Roosevelt Park Outdoor Ice Rink. So after asking that kind of, as I said, just kind of getting them thinking about city facilities, we had this message for the respondents. Before we continue, it's important to understand that no decisions have been made to put a ballot measure before voters. Your responses to the following questions will help the city make that decision. Uh, just letting them know that, that it's important that they continue and, and um, respond to these following questions, and we kind of broke them up by categories. The first was new recreation and cultural projects. And these ones all kind of bunched together, but we've got two, two on each slide here. Uh, the, the most popular was a new branch library. 60% of respondents said they would vote yes. 
when they learned about the cost and the amenities that would come with each project. That's, that's important to understand. We weren't asking them um, just kind of cold without knowing anything. We kind of laid out what the cost would be and what the included amenities would be for each of these projects. Just beneath that, you see the rec center, uh, a new rec center there at 56% saying that they would vote yes. Again, these are all very close together. 55% said that they would vote yes for the Center for Arts and Entertainment. And 54% said they would vote yes for the Museum and Culture Center expansion. So really, while there is slight difference among these four, they're all very close together when you consider the, the margin of error of the results. On the text only survey, you see slightly different numbers there, but really the same uh, general theme is that they're all very close together. 56% of those respondents to the text survey would vote yes on the new branch library. 55% would vote yes on the new rec center. 53% would vote yes on the museum and culture center expansion and 52% would vote yes on the new center for arts and entertainment. Okay, at least attempting to kind of force a choice among respondents. So we did give them the option to say I'd like to have a chance to vote on all four. If you could only choose one to be on the ballot this November, which one would it be? And the new recreation center was the top uh, response here at 27%, followed by a center for arts and entertainment at 21%, a new branch, new branch library at 16%, and the museum and culture center expansion at 8%. 12% uh, of respondents would want to vote on all four, and 11% would not want to vote on any of the projects. And here you can see a little bit of differences among the different demographic groups there on the right, uh, especially I'll point out obviously War Two, which is where the new, rec re new recreation center would be located. Not surprising you see a high, higher uh, preference for that project there. Moving on to three potential new park projects. Uh, this one, you really did see two of the three kind of rise above the other. Uh, at the top, there's 57% would vote yes on Union Reservoir enhancements. Again, after being informed of the cost and the amenities included. And then 55% would vote yes on a completion of Dry Creek Park. Uh, coming up in third, quite a, quite a uh, distance below those two would be uh, improvements to Montgomery Farm and again, we listed out what those amenities would include. 39, only 39% would vote yes. So starting below 50% there is not a great place to start, obviously. And on the text only survey, similar numbers. The Union Reservoir enhancements are still the, the top preferred, though right there with them is completing Dry Creek Park. And then only 40% saying that they would vote yes on the Montgomery Farm project. So we, uh, on, on this group, we wanted to get a sense of, okay, what if we grouped all three projects together? And again, explained what the cost would be, uh, what the, in, what the uh, tax increases would be, knowing all this, would you vote yes and approve it, or would you vote no and reject it? And here we're coming in at 47% saying they would approve it, 16% uh, would definitely vote yes to approve, 31% would probably vote yes. And then you see there, 41% would vote no and reject, 12% are undecided. Uh, some real, some differences here obviously among the different demographic groups. Those voters age 18 to 44 are 
much more likely to support this grouping of projects, um, as are those who have lived in the city less than 10 years compared to those who have lived more than 10 years. So just those are just two things that kind of stick out on the demographics. Again, keeping in mind that that 18 to 44 uh, demographic isn't uh, quite as large as it would be in an even year election. And if you could only choose one of the projects, not surprising, uh, Union Reservoir and Dry Creek Park are very close there. Union Reservoir with 30%, Dry Creek Park with 27%. And you see a little bit higher there, 15% say they would not want to vote on any of these three. Then we had uh, two renovation projects for them, uh, a, uh, updates to the current rec center at Quail Road and the Centennial Pool Facility. Uh, clearly here you see that the rec center um, renovation is much more popular, 57% would vote yes, compared to only 28% who would vote yes on renovating the Centennial Pool facility. And that was one that really kind of uh, stuck out to a lot of respondents, and I'll get into that in a little bit when I talk about verbatim responses, but clearly not a lot of support for that project at this time. And similar numbers on the uh, tech survey only. 57% would vote yes and support the renovations to the rec center. Only 30% would vote yes and support renovations to Centennial Pool. So if you could only choose one, not surprising, nearly half of respondents said that they would choose to vote on the rec center as opposed to the Centennial Pool facility. Though here, nearly a quarter of respondents said they don't want to see either project on the ballot. Then we finished with two more kind of grouping questions. Uh, this one was a group of a new rec center, uh, renovations to the current rec center and renovations to the Centennial Pool Facility. Only 31% of voters would approve uh, this measure, only 10% definitely would, where over half of voters would vote no and reject it. And so this um, clearly, whether it's a, an, a matter of the cost, when you combine all three of these, it, you know, it, it could also be they want one of these other, other projects in there and they're upset that it's not in there. Um, but this one at only 31% support um, clearly doesn't have um, a lot of legs at this point. And similarly, when we group, we just wanted to kind of take a shot in the dark and see, okay, what, what if we included everything that we've been talking about here uh, during this survey? Would you vote yes and approve it or vote no and reject it? And 33% would vote yes and approve it, which personally having done, you know, a lot of these similar kind of projects for other municipalities up and down the front range, I was actually kind of surprised that number was as high as it was, right at 33%. Um, but clearly a majority of voters at 54% would vote no and reject. And here again, you see certainly some differences among the demographic groups. Same ones I pointed out earlier, uh, voters age 18 to 44 are much more likely to support it, as are those who have lived in the city for less than 10 years. So then we also asked a verbatim uh, question at the very end of the survey. Do you wanna share any thoughts or suggestions for the city regarding these potential projects? And here are just some of the prominent themes, right, the things that stood out among the roughly 1,400 people who took the time to answer this question. And the most common response was simply that now is not the time to raise taxes on Longmont residents because the general cost of living is too high as it is. 
um, pretty easy uh, viewpoint to understand, but I have some kind of uh, example, an example quote there uh, just from someone who shared that viewpoint. Next most common response was, again, this was something that really stuck out to a lot of respondents, nearly one in 10 um, upon learning of the potential renovations of the Centennial Pool Facility voiced their displeasure at that potential project and said, uh, actually, they, their belief is that the pool is an important resource and certainly shouldn't be renovated to remove the pool. The next most common, again, we're talking about only 6% of respondents, but trying to draw certain um, kind of themes that come out among the respondents. And this is the support for arts and entertainment. The, that center of all the projects, that was the one where the most people uh, voiced their support for it specifically, which I suppose is not surprising also given the um, you know, support that was voiced during public comment where that, that um, project does have certain, uh, a, a group of, of residents who are very committed to seeing that succeed. 5% of respondents uh, just voiced a concern that North Longmont is, is neglected at the expense of South Longmont. And 5%, and this is something that really kind of makes sense when you think about all that we've been asking them. 5% specifically said, what you really need to do is separate all these individual projects rather than group them. And many more respondents in the verbatim said, I support this, but not this. I support this, but not this. So also just kind of giving voice to that idea that the respondents would like to have the chance to vote on each project individually on the merits rather than having to vote for something they might really want alongside something they really don't care for. And here are the survey demographics of the respondents. Again, a lot of these are just weighted to uh, match what we expect turn out to be this November. So with that, I will open it up to questions. Councilor Martin. Thank you, Mayor Peck. Uh, this is actually a question for the staff, not for Magellan. Um, the public seems to have assumed that if Centennial Pool is not renovated, Centennial Pool would continue to operate um, in its present condition. Is that true, or would this pool need to be closed because it's too decrepit to live? We would either we would either need to add Jeff. How many? How much to rebuild the pool? Approximately uh, millions of dollars. And or we convert it and have some recreational amenity there just based on what we're seeing structurally and what we've had to deal with um, on that facility. So either a much larger number to keep it as a pool or we can convert it to something. court space or something else that can support that area. Thank you. Councillor Waters. Thanks, Mayor Peck. Uh, thanks for your presentation. Um, and this is a, you're a good example of how good this public school system is. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the only other time I've been through this kind of a presentation was in 2019. We heard reference earlier to a, a, a ballot question or a question we put on the ballot then. I'm going to comment on that before I'm finished here. Um, but in the presentation of, of polling data that evening or the evening we, we received polling data, and we were looking at different combinations like this, a rec center and library annex and those kinds of things. 
uh, one of the, and we saw, by, by the way, we saw real similar percentages. As I recall, there were a couple other council members who were in, uh, on the dais that night as well. Yeah, we, we actually did that, sir. Did you? Okay. It, it, it wasn't me that presented it. It was uh, our, our... I did remember that it was Magellan. Yep, it was. So. But it's my recollection that whoever did the presentation made the comment that if you're not above 60%, because our number was 58%, as I recall, not for the combination, but for the rec center, uh, that if you're not above 60 percent, then the, the, there was caution that, that the, whoever did the presentation, sure. we would advise to be really thoughtful because you're, once, you get or, once, once it's on the ballot, people know what the implications are, and you get organized opposition, your number's going to go down, right? Um, and, and we weren't at 60 percent, and, uh, and, and as we heard earlier, that went down badly. Is, are there some threshold percentages here that we ought to be, that you would say, be really thoughtful, or you better have a killer campaign strategy, or somebody does, if you're going to move forward with a percentage below X. Sure. Yeah, I, I think generally, uh, which makes sense because it was us who gave the presentation back then, so that 60% number still is, is one to keep in mind, right? Um, you're going to see just, just general attrition for any number of reasons, right? Once it's on the ballot, you may see your organized opposition, but also just simply it's it's easy to say you'd vote for something uh, on a survey, and when it really comes down to it, when you're filling out your ballot in October, a lot of people may may vote no and switch. The economy could be different then. There's all all kinds of things to consider, obviously. Um, so that that being said, uh, certainly since since even none of the individual projects were over 60, certainly none of the group projects were over 60. Um, certainly would recommend a strong and robust uh, campaign committee to be formed to advocate for whatever the choice may be just to kind of keep that momentum going and keep the support closer to where it is so that it can stay above 50 absolutely yeah well thank you so i what i i'm going to interpret that is yeah if if you if we move forward with any of these all of which are well we had one that was at 60 percent um then we we better be really clear on, on what happens after we make a decision in terms of who and how uh, they're going to champion this, yeah. this cause. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's so, yeah, what I always say is <laughs> it, you, you'd be amazed how many just will put something on the ballot and cross their fingers, right, yeah. and hope that it passes. Um, you know, it's, it's no different than you all running for office, right? If you announce that you're going to put your name in and you're going to be on the ballot but have no campaign, how would you expect to do? Well, yeah. the, 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 the issue campaign is no different, right? Yeah. So. Um, so as I reflect, we never did an after-action review. We didn't do a debrief as a council uh, in 2019 uh, following that loss. I wish we had because there would have been some lessons learned or insights we could pull out now and say, let's not make these mistakes again or let's learn from, you know, whatever it was. Um, and, and we'll all have our own recollections uh, of why that went down. And I, I'm not disputing anything we heard earlier tonight. Um, but as my, but as I reflect back, uh, whether it was us or someone else in the community that did a terrible job of branding what we were advancing as a rec center, as opposed to what got branded and labels as a pool and as the ice palace, right? As the as a competitive facility, we're some of that tonight, as opposed to what was a, available to the whole community. Um, uh, the messaging, along with the branding, was muddled at best. It was non-existent for the most part. There was no campaign that I can recall. 
for that rec center. Somebody else can recall a campaign to be helpful. And there was organized opposition to it, and our timing was terrible. We were waiting on the school district to make a decision, and I'm not blaming anybody here. I'm just, just as a matter of fact, we didn't move forward till we knew from the school district, so we were really late in the process. So for me, as, I, as we move forward, I want to listen to other thoughts. I just want to make certain when I cast my votes that I'm clear I'm casting a vote. If, I, if it's a yes vote, I'm casting a vote when we know there are folks who are ready to, to lean into this hard and smart with a campaign strategy to make the kind of investment that's going to be required. Now, I was, I'm going to just add one more comment. I was quoted uh, in this morning's paper, and Matt, is Matt still here? DR filed his report. He's gone. I was accurately quoted, but only half my quote. So I said this. I, anybody read the paper? I didn't read it until somebody called me late today and said, did you mean what you said this morning? Uh, I made the comment this morning that reflecting on the Magellan presentation from 2019 um, and, the, and the 60% threshold, that nothing, none of these meet that threshold. Um, and though, so that's reason, cause for con some concern. I went on to say the one of these that I'm pretty certain there's going to be a killer campaign for is the, the uh, Center for Arts and Entertainment, and that's part of what you heard tonight. So um, the message to anybody else who's a champion of these needs to pay real close attention to what we're hearing from the public, from you, and reflecting on what we should have learned from 2019. So thanks for the presentation. City Manager, you had a comment? Yeah, so as staff, we did look at it, and we said, what are the lessons we need to take from that? Um, and, and so, uh, obviously, we as the city can't do the campaign. We can present the factual information, and, and that's all we can do. And we definitely saw that as an issue. Um, we all talked about um, the comment about if it's not over 60%, you need those campaigns. So we did identify that. We also identified the, the lack of specificity in terms of location and where things are going to set as an issue, which is why you can see in this, we were very specific in terms of what was going to be in, in what location, because we think that was another significant issue in that, in that last ballot initiative. And so those were the two things that in our mind really rose to the level of, um, yeah, this is, we need to learn from this. Um, I think timing's important, um, and just so you all know, we, we're, we talked about it in the retreat, what's the elasticity of what people are willing to pay for in the community. I think that's going to play into this conversation, especially where we're sitting right now in terms of the global economic conditions and what we're experiencing locally. So we've talked about that a little bit as well, but I wanted to just throw in to say that's what we debriefed on in saying we need to make sure those two thi those things are adjusted we can only take care of the specific locations. We cannot take care of the campaign component of this. Councillor Hidalgo Farring. Um, thank you, Mayor. Um, so, yeah, back in 2019, when the um, the other initiative came out for the rec center, I was running for council, but I was not sitting on the council at the time, and just hearing it, it from. A resident point of view um, there were a lot of misconceptions out there and I think you know even looking at the prominent themes um, around keeping Centennial Pool and perhaps it, there's a thought that if we keep the pool as it is 
people will still be able to utilize the pool in the future. Um, you know, and clarifying the, those types of misconceptions as well as, and I do agree, there isn't enough in North Longmont. I'm Ward 3 representative, so, um, and you know, it is, a lot of it is already built out. It's, it's, a very, it's an older neighborhood, um, whole older area, and there's not a lot of room for expansion and growth in that area. Um, in conversations I've had with constituents, um, you know, there isn't a lot of city property. So, you know, we're looking at what the city already owns and what, what would be um, feasible for, um, you know, for a recreation center or um, any of the other types of amenities that, that we're, we're looking for. Um, you know, so ensuring that, that those types of misconceptions or questions or concerns get answered early on uh, to our residents so they're, they're, they are well informed prior to making making that decision. And I think those are things we could do as far as um, helping the, educate our community in, in what is a, what properties are available and why certain um, centers are being built in certain locations. Um, I do agree with separating the projects um, as far as, you know, um, and I'll get to, get to that in a bit, but, you know, I do want to, I was a little frustrated when I was reading this because overwhelmingly I'm hearing from residents, my constituents, um, parents, colleagues in the educational field that we don't have enough for kids to do. So this was an opportunity, this is an opportunity to, to build a robust social infrastructure for our future, you know, looking at building and supporting, supporting our future. So, you know, I just, I wanna make sure that those messages get out there as well. Um, you know, uh, thank you for your presentation and, and isolating out those those pieces. I greatly appreciate that and help me build a better understanding. Um, but, you know, the two that really had me concerned were the Centennial Park and Montgomery um, Farm Park. And, and really, I would hate to see other projects, you know, especially the need for museum expansion or a library branch and, and building out those opportunities. You know, you look at what are the great equalizers. Well, these are these opportunities, cultural arts center, for people to be able to engage and have opportunities where they normally wouldn't have the resources to be able to go out and do. Um, so, you know, looking at what, lumping certain projects that we know that can that can pass or that can be support, supported by the greater masses. So that's my two cents. Is there anyone else on council? Do you want to turn on your mic? Councilor McCoy. Whoops, try it again. No, your mic's the, it's. There we go. There Magic people. Okay, so all right. So to uh, Councilmember Waters' uh, point, uh, in the in regards to the only group that's kind of come forward thus far to uh, to show any support for any one of these projects is the uh, uh, Center for the Performing Arts, and uh, not that uh, you know we would all know about any other groups maybe from the rec uh, uh, community that might be uh, you know. In the in the background somewhere, but it, it concerns me if if that's what we have to have, we have it in one. We probably need to uh, 
uh, get people, uh, before we make any serious commitment to anything, we need to get uh, uh, that call out there to folks to say, hey, you have to have that level. And so uh, I wonder how we go about doing that to kind of get people to um, to do that, uh, to, to stand behind that before we get started because that's it's kind of a big uh, and heavy lift. And I think a lot of people would like to see a rec center, but I'm not certain that I'm seeing them come to council a couple times over the last couple of months uh, to talk about that. So um, my uh, suggestion to those out there that are listening is that if that's what you're interested in, uh, in having in our community, you need to take the advice of our experts that we brought in here and, uh, and get organized. Mayor Pro Tim Rodriguez. Uh, thank you, Mayor Peck. So first of all, a question. Obviously, the grouping was not popular. Uh, when It didn't matter really what the version of grouping was, but it just didn't seem popular. Um, and so that logically would lead to splitting out. Uh, but is there like a critical mass for like ballot questions for a municipality where having like a couple is probably okay, but if you have 10, that's probably... <laughs> People are just going to vote no because they get tired of it, or yeah, sure. I mean, that's obviously they're all at the bottom of the ballot, right? So you gotta you gotta make through make it through your whole ballot, and then oh, Longmont's putting ten things on the ballot. That's outrageous. Um, I'd say ten's probably too many, right? <laughs> but um, you know, I, I I don't think three or four is is outrageous, and you know, I do think um, I think what really came through is that. It, it helps each project individually on the merits if people have the opportunity to vote for each project individually on the merits because part of the reason or a larger reason why you see the groupings fail spectacularly is, is yeah, it's big numbers and big scary numbers and that's part of it. Um, but also just people don't want to vote for something that they don't see a need for, right? right? So they, you know, and I, I wish we could do a survey where we could do all different permutations and we could get you the exact perfect combination of, of what to do, right? right? But unfortunately, it's not really possible. Um, you know, I would say, yeah, a single subject, one ballot measure is, is ideal, obviously. But, but having a dual subject in one ballot measure isn't unheard of, obviously, mm -hmm. especially if they're somewhat related in, in, in some sense. And so that's something to consider as well. But no, I, I don't think, um, I think having three or four different ballot measures on the ballot would just give residents the sense that, hey, we're, we're, we're giving you what you asked for. We're giving you a chance to vote on these projects individually. Um, of course, then you have to do the hard work of choosing which which three or four are going to be on there. Right. Um, but but yeah, no, it, it, it's a good question. I, I do think uh, there is a certain point where it's just it, it gets obnoxious to those who are filling out their ballot and they're they're voting on nine different things. Well, I, and the reason I brought that up was because if we were to take a run at all the ones that were presented that say presented as fifty five percent and up that was more than three, right. you know, right. in, in a bunch of different ways. And so I'm like, well, we don't want to put 10 on there. That's a little bit too much. And so that's why I kind of was wondering if there's a sweet spot. And, right. You know. and, but, but that's where there is the opportunity to maybe combine the two park projects that were over 55% or something sure. like that. So that, you know, 3A can be branded as the parks and 4A can be branded as the culture and recreation or however it shakes out. Okay. So. And then so this would probably be more for staff. I don't know. Is what is the cost per ballot submittal for the city? Is it, or 
Mayor Patricia Rodriguez, it depends. It totally varies by depending on if the state is participating. If they put questions on the ballot, then that reduces the overall cost and depends on how many how many total items are on the ballot and how many of those items are ours. But it would be more expensive for each additional item that we put. It, it does cost us, yes. We pay for the space we take up on the ballot. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Councillor Waters. Have you already gotten to Um, so an anecdote, and then I want to ask, I'm going to ask you another question. Here's the anecdote. Um, I, I remember vividly uh, sitting in the PRAB meeting as the liaison, uh, when we were in the process of making this decision, we hadn't made it yet. The question wasn't on the ballot. Um, but what was in the proposal in spite of, again, what we heard tonight, wasn't something we decided. It came from a feasibility study that, that the public was seriously involved with. And I do remember vividly sitting in here and one Tuesday night after another hearing folks who are, were advocates for this, you know, demanding we put something on the ballot so they could at least vote on it, right? Um, but, but one of those proposals was an ice sheet, right? Which I think became, maybe it may be what, be what sank ultimately the proposal. I know that was, one of the things that was most controversial. And I remember the night that the, uh, the hockey community was at the PRAB meeting, and they were encouraging PRAB to support uh, the inclusion of the ice sheet in that proposal. Uh, and we heard from virtually, during public invited, we heard everybody, we were surrounded by the hockey community, and, and two things we heard over and over again. One was, if we do this, we'll get an interscholastic hockey program at the school district. Plus, We'll bring in all these events and, you know, we'll make a lot of money. Uh, and I did, I, when they were finished, I asked two questions. One was, have you talked to anybody in the school district about the potential of it? And the answer was no. Um, so that's just something to keep in mind in terms of how we're networking. But the other was this. I said, what are, what are your plans for a campaign to support this if we put it on the ballot? And the response was memorable. It was, don't lay that on us. And it's like... Well, whose job do you think that is? Um, so I just want to reinforce the message that there, it is somebody's job, and it's not the staff's job, and we're going to be constrained. No matter what we, how we would want to champion, we are going to be limited once we make a decision. So before we make a decision, and having advised folks on campaigns, this is not a data question so much as a campaign sure. strategy question. If you're just advising us, from on the politics of this sure um, and I don't know whether I could set it up on a continuum you know one to ten or just don't go there or thresholds your advice in terms of what should we think be thinking real critically about I understand what you just said about don't be afraid to put a couple of items together if you know if that makes sense um, and there I think there are some that do make sense but just based on what you have seen in the numbers what you know about this community you would say be really cautious in these areas be, way, be, be more confident, assuming there's a campaign in these areas. Yeah, so I mean, obviously there's a couple things you have to consider. One is you have to consider the prospect of organized opposition, right? And I would imagine that some of these are going to have more organized opposition than others. That's something to just, to just keep in mind, right? If there's something that's relatively popular and just from you all's sense of the community, you know that, that there's not gonna be 
you know, very aggressive organized opposition, that that's kind of a point in its favor, right? Because that's the other side of a campaign. It'd be nice if you were the only ones with a bullhorn, but obviously that's not the case. And again, it's not even, it's not even you with the bullhorn, to your point, you've got to find people. Um, so yeah, and, and this is something that, you know, Council Member McCoy touched on. Um, it really, I mean, it, it should be starting very soon, putting out those feelers, getting those groups together, letting them know that, because, you know, the, the average voter, even if they're very, you know, passionate about these projects, doesn't understand that, that kind of, you know, break or that firewall that has to exist between the city and a campaign committee. And that once it's on the ballot, the bulk of the work is, well, I shouldn't even say the bulk of the work, all of the work is going to be done by that campaign committee. And there not only has to be kind of, you know, foot soldiers willing to do the, the, the dirty work and put in the elbow grease for that committee, but also funds to have a campaign, right? And so those are two things that you kind of both need operating in concert. Um, so yeah, I, I think in terms of making that decision, part of your calculation has to be right now today, and again, it's exactly what you alluded to, which, which groups already exist and which groups are we really going to have to push and prod? Because if you, have to, if you have to do too much pushing and prodding, it's probably a sign that, that the, the interest and the involvement is not going to be there. Because I've, you know, I've done too many campaigns where everyone promises the moon, oh yeah, I'll do this and this and this, and I'll write checks and I'll do this. And then come September, they're nowhere to be found, right? So, so in addition to um, uh, people coming here, you're suggesting we need to be really confident there are, these are going to be green campaigns. In this case, green isn't environmental. It's about who's writing the right checks, yeah. right? Right, right. That's the message, real green campaigns. Sure. Councillor uh, Martin. Uh, thank you, Mayor Peck. Again, a uh, question for the staff. We are looking at bond issue funding for each of these projects with the exception of, of of the Center for Arts and Entertainment, which is a public-private partnership. So it still has a bond issue, but it's a smaller bond issue than the price of the project uh, would yield by itself. Um, the question that I have is for some of these things, especially the things that already exist that just need an injection of new money um, or an infusion of new money, um, what other options do we have for finding money down the road? Because, uh, you know, if, if I were making this decision on my own, I would be looking at two things. One is what would people vote for, and one is what could we find another way of funding? Because I would take those things off the ballot and find them, uh, find them a way uh, find uh, other ways of getting them within the next few years. So you give us a clue because I'm, I'm assuming, by the way, that we're not going to make this decision cold tonight. We're going to go home and cogitate and look at the numbers, correct? Correct. I have some questions for you all um, in terms of how you would like us to move as we, we move go forward. Um, so I think let's start off when we when we talk about when we talked about this, and we brought this to you all your attention. We had a lot of requests coming at us for more parks, 
you know, recreation centers, you name it, in the budget process, those requests were coming in. And, and what we said is, and, and there's two pieces to this that I want to go back to. There is a capital component to these items, but there's also an ongoing funding component to these items. And so we know what we've been dealing with is the capacity of the ongoing funding to support things. When you look at all of the demands that are being placed on the system, and as we're dealing with inflation and labor issues that we're, we've been seeing, that takes a lot of our revenue stream just to maintain what we're doing now. And uh, we talked to council about if we're going to look at this, we really need to look at, you know, a tax increase to both support the capital and the ongoing operations. Uh, so um, I think we can say based on when we've been looking at these projects, what's been on our plans, incrementally funding these is going to be difficult over time. We just, when you see all the pressures in play. So what are the options? There's not a lot of options when you, when you look at the magnitude of dollars that we're talking about here. If you wanted to parse down into some of these individual projects, I think we can bring you different options because you might want to look at, well, what's, what's the potential for success if you can get, you know, a really strong capital campaign and it may mean that you don't necessar necessarily need to bring the capital in, but you may need to bring the ongoing operations in. Um, and so we can have some of those conversations internally to bring you some of that information. But it's tough, and I don't know if Jim agrees or disagrees with me. Um, the options that are limited based on what we're just seeing financially and the pressures, and we don't know. I mean, I don't think any of us would have predicted the situation we're in now where you have out-of-control inflation. Obviously, we had big hits on labor. So um, that's my take. Jim, do you have a different take to this? So, uh, Mayor, PEC, members of council, Jim Golden, Chief Financial Officer. Just looking real quick, I think the one thing that comes to mind is we've been collecting a, a, a community investment fee for recreation facilities for a number of years. I just checked it's, it's uh, up around over $4.5 million at this point in time is accumulated. So uh, that's something that might be able to go towards a combination of the rec center or a quail. I don't want to commit it that it can be used for any specific purpose without first being sure. but. That, that's something that hasn't been worked into these numbers, and that might allow us to maybe not um, do the Quail Rec Center project, do it through a, a bond, I should say. So it's one idea that comes to mind. Um, I am ass assuming um, that when we figured the property tax base and the sales tax base that we were looking at pr prior years. But there are some other factors like the opening of Costco this spring um, that we know and we have quantitative projections um, are going to change that. They're going to they're going to they're going to change the city's revenue base independent of what we, what we, any new taxes that we levy, they're going to change our revenue base. So um, 
was any of were were any of those developments such as the opening of Costco um, included in the projections of of our taxes, or are those backward looking projections? Those are backward looking projections. They're based on the the projections that went into the twenty twenty three budget uh, for revenue levels at that point in time. So before we would refine those before we would actually set a ballot question based on the best numbers that we would have available to give us maybe another three or four months at the most to, to do that. Uh, so we will know a little bit about Costco at that point. And honestly, I mean, we have estimates about Costco that we shared with you when we um, you know, initiated the project. Mm -hmm. But until we actually can get a handle on how much of the Costco monies are cannibalized from within the city, it would be uh, dangerous to commit too much. So we haven't included it yet in, we haven't included Costco in even our regular operating budget at this mm -hmm. point in time. So. Okay. So everyone's had a chance to uh, weigh in on this. Uh, Councillor Yarbrough, do you have any thoughts you would like to share? Thank you, Mayor. Um, just taking it all in, taking it all in. Um, yeah, so I guess I just need to, to make sure that are we supposed to be given direction for to staff about which projects tonight? Oh, okay, okay. So the one thing I was gonna say is you don't have to decide tonight. Um, uh, so I have some questions for you all. Do you have any questions? Or, or is there anything you would like us to consider in terms of doing another poll? Um, or do you want some time to think about this and you can have some time to think about it? But if we do another one, we're going to need to decide pretty soon. Um, looking to Becky and over here. So, um, so that was one question. Did you hear anything tonight that would say, oh, can we ask this question? Um, the other piece is really getting at to the component in terms of the campaign piece in that um, do you want us to take this to the advisory board and really talk to them about here's what the results are um, and have a conversation with our respective advisory boards in terms of, you know, what what do you think you can do in terms of a campaign model? Because count, you obviously are asking that question, and we go to the advisory boards and, and ask them specifically about their thoughts on a campaign and what can be done, because I think that's a piece of information you all need. You've, each one of you have asked that question in some form. So that would be the next question that I would ask. Are you ready for us to take this to the advisory boards that are dealing with these specific issues and, and specifically talk to them about campaigns and, and what they really think they can get done. So well, go ahead. Real quick, if we did another poll, are the questions going to be different or are they going to be the same or? They could. So if, if you all said today, we don't want this project in, I'll just take Montgomery Farm Park, right? Obviously below 30%. If you all said, no, we want to leave that out. And if you all think you can bring in, build, you know, cover the, the quail recreation via this other funding source that Jim talked about, and, and we only have the operational piece, 
we can start refining it a little bit more so there's not as many questions being asked and we're getting into the core of what you all would really like to consider. That's probably a tough question for you all to answer tonight, but it's something for you all to think about is if you could give us four or five, do you want us to repull those four or five if we're bringing other information into play? I'm going to go ahead since I haven't spoken yet. Um, I, I have some questions that might answer that or may not. I'm not sure. Uh, when I look at the percentages as to what, is, what has risen to the top, my concern is, for example, Memorial Building is not rising to the top. Do we still have funding to protect that building and the, and the activities that are going on there? Are we going to lose what we already have if we go forward? About Centennial? Uh, that's going to be my next one, both Centennial. Do we lose that pool if it does not get on the ballot? If it, um... so, so the issue I think we talked about with council before, the issue with, Memori with, with Centennial, Memorial Building was not on this. And so it was, oh, a, it was. It was a building that we just asked in terms, they asked in terms of how often do you use it, what's your perception of this, but it's not one of the projects that's on the list. Um, if you all will remember a few years ago, we actually did include money in a previous election for yeah. locker rooms at Centennial, and that's when all the problems started. And, and so there are significant structural issues associated with the swimming pool itself. I'm looking to, to Jeff. Uh, if you remember, we had it closed for a long period of time I do. where it was leaking and the pumps and system wouldn't work. And so when... When we evaluated the cost of doing this, taking into account that there is now an additional pool in the community that the school district built, um, we are hearing conversations that there may be something else in play in the pool world, um, and we evaluated the cost of it. You know, I, we don't have an exact number, but I, I think to repair it based on what I'm looking at when we actually did the fixes, it was in excess of $15 million um, because of the, the foundation. I mean, there are foundation issues there with that. Mm -hmm. And that's really a product of the same issues that we're dealing with in terms of the buildings here in the mm -hmm. sense of the lack of capital investment over time actually really put us in a position to where there's a significant issue with it. And we thought that it's easier to repurpose it and provide court amenities and other recreation amenities at that location so you don't neglect that location mm -hmm. because it's needed in the community. But I don't think we could continue without some vote on money with that facility. Okay, because my concern is if that doesn't make it to the ballot because people do not want to lose the pool aspect of it, they're not excited about basketball in their swimming pool area, we would, and for certain parks that might get on it. Other people have been waiting for a long time for their parks, might not vote for it at all because it doesn't address their personal issues. And if the pool goes away, there's absolutely nothing on the east side. So they may not vote for a rec center on the uh, southwest. And that that is how um, I look at this as what what will attract everybody rather than 
specific areas of town. And when we're talking about marketing, I, I see a very difficult task ahead by supporting something that leaves out half the town. So on the park piece, remember that we have the park improvement fund yes. and in the parks that, you know, we heard that we need to build and we need to catch up on. And so, um, you know, obviously as Jeff and David presented a chart to the Parks and Rec Advisory Board in terms of here's what we're going to do as a result of the new bid process that we talk about and the other projects that we have ongoing. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's going to be in play too because we're going to have a lot of work going on in the community really dealing with those neighborhood parks, but that's a different funding source. Um, you know, in terms of other funding sources, we do have the Public Improvement Fund. Obviously, there are other needs that are in play there. Public Improvement Fund, right? Yep that are going to be demanding out of that. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that's why I say options are limited. Mm -hmm. But I think those are things that we can answer. So okay. we can answer the question of, in order to get Centennial here, we estimate that it's going to take X million above what we're asking for in order to keep it, act, keep it active as a pool or we can convert to court space. You know, one of the things that we know in talking to Jeff one of the most significant issues that we're seeing in the community is its court space in terms of I think we're constantly seeing a lack of court space. So we know there's a need, but obviously we haven't communicated that. So there's some answers we can bring back to you all to clarify uh, some of these different components and, and maybe help in the public education ahead of time. I bet it would pass if you said indoor pickleball. <laughs> Interestingly enough, I mean, those are the, you know, when you're, when you're talking about adding court space, I know Jeff and I've talked about this. It's, you know, I think he routinely has people trying to find volleyball courts mm -hmm. for their volleyball teams or basketball courts for that or creating indoor pickleball. I mean, in the programming, you can shift that to create other amenities. Um, and those are things we can quickly try to figure out and, and provide those answers to council. So as far as the, uh, a new survey, I would recommend putting a Centennial Pool back on a survey and actually explain what court space is, not sure. just court space. And I'm serious, if you put pickleball on there and uh, volleyball, you would get a better count, I think. So. Yep, I think a new a, a new survey would be good. I don't know what questions to ask at this point. So do you want us to kind of give a run? I mean, and this is a question to all council, is to say how would we as staff sort of narrow it down a little bit to um, get more specific answers? Yes, do you want uh, us tonight to tell you what, no, okay. No, I, I want you all to think about it and then you can email us and give us your thoughts and then we can work that via what we're seeing and hearing in the conversation okay. and then have a conversation with Magellan. Does that sound like that would work? Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think just these survey results to your point kind of enlighten what that second, like there does need to be some explanation of mm -hmm. it's not just that the centennial pool could keep operating as is right like that. And that like, to your point, that misperception has to be corrected. Yes. Um, and so when we're, when we're laying it out for respondents, the same way we did in this survey, having dropped some of the projects that maybe aren't as popular, we've got room to educate them and say, 
okay, we, we asked about Centennial Pool, we heard you that that wasn't popular, but let us explain a little bit more about that issue and how the pool, you know, to your point, it, it may be the, the pool is, is going to be lost regardless unless you approve new funding for a pool. I mean, that's a question we want to ask. Maybe that's something we want to throw out there. Um, but, but certainly, um, I think, you know, having gone through all of this data really helps to inform how to really drill down on what a second survey should be asking and, and shouldn't be asking. Okay, sounds good. Councillor Hidalgo Fearing. Um, thank you, Mayor. So I, you had thrown out the question around presenting to advisory boards. I absolutely believe that we need to present this um, yes. sooner rather than later. Um, they could provide, you know, th their focus is around their perspective boards and their whole background, everything that they, and their understanding of, of you know, the museum, the library, um, parks and rec. So, and I, I believe that they would be able to help us come up with better questioning or specific questioning in regard to a second second survey. So, um, and you know, I think we just we just had our meetings this this month for um, library and museum. So the next one would be coming in April. So you know, I'd like to see that sooner rather than later. And of course, I'm happy to present to any of those boards as well um, if needed. So, okay. should we um, each go around and say, or at least take a, a consensus as to whether we want the survey to come for the staff to do another survey um, with different questions? You don't want to say that. Okay. But was that your question, though? Should we do another survey? Uh, my question was, um, do you have um, anything you would like us to look at potentially in doing another survey? But it's kind of hard for you all to take all this information in tonight and tell okay. us. Mm -hmm. And I said you all can communicate with um, Sandy, Becky, and Joni via email and, and give Lucky us your you. thoughts. If there's anything that, mm -hmm. that you think about later, okay. we're obviously, if it if council's direction is also for us to look at it and go, staff, what would you put in or what would you want to know that's not getting answered now? We can do that work okay. internally. Mm -hmm. um, the other piece on taking it to the advisory boards, um, again, is council direction in terms of this coalition building and really pointing that question to them and getting answers. Um, is that something you all want to do when we take it to the advisory board? Uh, I think so. Can I have a yes, sir, and a head nod? Yeah. Okay, yes. Um, the only thing I will say is we talked about it. Um, you know, when we saw the results, there was nothing was over 60%. Right. And um, that was something that when we talked was concerning, mm -hmm. um, which I think reinforces everything that you all talked about tonight. That's a good point, and perhaps um, as we have listened to our constituents outside of the survey, that might be what we would email Joni and Becky about, is that put this question in or add this as a definition or as a description or to get more input. Information that we need to provide, like earlier, there's a question about the Performing Arts Center mm -hmm. and the 104 million. 
you know, I was digging into that. And that was also including the convention center and other space. And so that number, when you take that out, is, is a different number. And I think, you know, that's some specifics in all of these that we probably need to bring out so that folks understand it. Okay. Councilor Waters. Thanks, Mayor Peck. Um, just on this, uh, just on the question of questions, do you have a short list of questions that you've looked at this, Harold, and said, man, I, I hope we can do a follow-up uh, poll to answer these questions. Do you have a short list? Um, in my mind, the centennial wasn't one that I was really thinking about because I think it was, when you look at what was being said, it was, well, we want to keep it as a swimming pool. Mm, there's a different reality. So that was one um, that, that I was really interested in. Um, you know, all I can, that was the biggest one that hit me. I want to spend some time in talking to Becky and, and the team on this one. We were turning this around pretty fast. Yeah. And so we, we haven't really had a chance to sit down as a group and go, what would we want to know out of this? And just to, just so that I'm clear, do we actually see uh, uh, th that there's an op op option to salvage the swimming pool at Centennial Park? Or you'd have to just start all over again? at something substantially more than what we've projected in, into, into these numbers. You thought you were going to go off easy tonight, Jeff? Mayor and Council, Jeff Friesner, Director of Recreation and Culture. We believe that the building shell itself is, is structurally sound, but the whole pool itself and all the plumbing that goes along with that would need to be replaced. So it's demolition, basically, and then and then starting Rebuild. over again. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That, yeah, there, yeah, they were seeing issues in terms of the there's probably leaks that we're not seeing. Yeah. And what that's doing is getting into the soil structure. And yeah. so when we talked to the structural engineer, it was destabilizing the soils under it, which was causing the cracking in the walls. Yeah. And so you really probably would need to rebuild the pool yeah. and keep the structure. Yeah. That's At a substantially is. higher number than yeah. what, we, what yes. we projected into this. Yeah. Well, that was my assumption. Yeah. I would like to ask our consultant, um, if, are you, I don't want you to walk out of here and think or say to yourself, man, why didn't they think to ask these questions, right? From all of your experience, Based on what you've seen, what are the what are the questions you would say you're 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 really missing it if you don't ask these? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm as you're talking, I'm kind of sitting up here thinking, you know, trying to get creative as a pollster and and figuring out is there an actual way that we could let them craft their own ballot measure in the survey so that you know, okay, this person really only wants to vote for yeah, a library. Great, yeah. This person would vote for a library. But they also kind of like a rec center and Union Reservoir, or whatever the combination may be, um, just to kind of get some sense of how soft support is for some of these things and how huh. hard and definite support is for some of these things. Um, you know, obviously, there's going to be people that are so set on a certain project that if anything gets on the ballot that doesn't include that project, they're going to vote no, yeah. Yeah. right? And so those are the kind of things that um, you know, you, you actually create opposition by your choice on what to put on the ballot. Uh, those are the kind of things that are important to understand. Maybe someone loves a certain project, but they'll vote for all the other stuff too. 
Um, it's just, it's trying to get a sense of, you know, individual voters and how these coalitions take shape. Um, I mean, to your point about what happened uh, in 2019, clearly there just wasn't a big enough coalition of voters to get together and, and vote for that. And so that's really the consideration that has to, like something has to exist organically, right? It can't just be created out of thin air, you know, uh, the Tuesday after Labor Day and expect something to pass on the ballot in November. Um, so yeah, I, I do think there are certain questions we could ask to kind of dig into that a little bit more. Maybe even ask, um, you know, would you be willing to participate in a campaign for such and such um, issue? Just more of like an activist type yeah. question. Obviously that's gonna be a low percentage, but we're gonna see certain differences across the different projects when we're talking about not just voting for something, but actually being involved in advocating for something. We could even do that, go that route. Um, certainly there are different avenues and you know, to, to Harold's point, different specifics that we can include that, that, that would enhance a second survey and, and really I think give you even more uh, you know, concrete information to go off of in your decision making. Yeah, well using that kind of information would really be helpful yeah. from, from my perspective. One more question and I'm done. Is Eugene still here? I, I can just guarantee uh, at the PRAB meeting when this gets presented, the first question is going to be what can we do? What are the limitations on us as advisory board members? And I, I would not want to be giving bad information. What are the constraints or the limits to what they can do as members, as official members of an advisory board in terms of campaigning or advocacy? Uh, you guys, you guys, did you get the memo about your attire tonight? Yeah, man. I'm we pretty impressed. I'm glad we finally called you up here. Mayor and Council, Eugene Macy, Attorney. Uh, so the State Fair Campaign Practices Act prohibits the city from advocating for or against. And as an official of the city, I think they would be included within that prohibition. They're free to act on their own as citizens or outside organizations. But as a member of the board, I would advise against them from advocating once the ballot measures. So they could campaign, but not with a prab hat on or not as a board. Correct. As a volunteer in somebody's issues or campaign committee. Yeah, they can pass resolutions in favor, uh, for or against, yeah. um, like council can, uh, but the actual advocacy beyond that. And they could write checks. They could donate. Yes, personally. that, that would yeah. be a personal yeah. choice. All right, thanks. We've all talked twice or at least three times, so Marcia, this will be... will be the last. Yes. Thank you. Um, yeah, I just have a, a, a question for something that I might forget, so if you could maybe prepare it for the next time. Um, we do have these um, eight in five parks, and when people are responding about the parks that we looked at for as, as bond issue parks, <laughs> Um, knowing what those eight are and that they're be, going to be coming along in the same time frame mm, might might change people's priorities about parks specifically because, oh, we're going to have a new park anyway, so I don't want to pay a, a, a property tax for that. Can we, um, can, can we get together a, a map of the parks that are already there and the parks that would get renovated or built new 
in in this in this already funded objection uh, objective. And I see Becky over there nodding. Yeah, because I think that would help a lot. I think it would it would help the next set of survey respondents, and it would help us deciding what to put on the ballot. And I think David and uh, has, and his team has put together some of that. So let us get with them and and what they have. Thank you. The the one thing that you know we've we've talked about it in terms of elasticity and other things. I think one of the things we really need to look at, and, and we've actually got received emails on this recently related to this and not related, related to this, but really understanding what are the potential headwinds as we're coming into this. So as you all are thinking the what, um, because of you know what are people impacting? Um, you, you know, we got an email about you need to understand, you know, how we're getting hit by reappraisal years and our taxes are going to go up anyway, even though it's not a tax mm -hmm. increase. And so I think as we're moving through this conversation is really being mindful of, of what that community impact is as we're moving toward a decision. Um, because I think um, Ryan said that earlier, we don't know what the economy is going to be like by the time this hits the ballot, mm -hmm. and, and we need to understand and, and think through those as we have the next conversation. I just didn't want to be remiss and not bring that out so you all can start thinking about that. Yeah, and I would echo that. I mean, it's particularly true in an odd year election where such a high percentage of the voters are those age 65 plus who are more on fixed incomes and who are you know more going to feel that impact. Not that everyone doesn't feel it, but they probably feel it more acutely. So been a great presentation and a great discussion. Do you have everything you need, Harold, to? Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you all. That's great. You give us a lot of mental homework here. So we are now at the final call of public invited to be heard. Is there anybody in the public that would like to address council? Seeing none, we're going to move on to the mayor and council comments. Uh, any comments from councilors? Uh, Councilor Waters. Thanks, Mayor Peck. <clears throat> uh, because I received some correspondence from a, a resident who attended council, a coffee with council on Saturday, who uh, in the memo, in the summary, was uh, expressing um, beyond disappointment, not in council members, but in the public who was there and the way they treated council members, uh, the way they behaved among themselves, not just to make a point, but to harangue, I, I don't know if that's too, I don't think that's too strong a word. And I'm sure these are good people who care a lot. I'm not, I, I'm just saying, um, uh, in, in, in my tenure on council, we've never done an after action review following coffee with council. Like what happened, what did we learn, and how do we use what we learned getting better next time out? I'm up in April with council member Hidalgo Faring. Uh, and it's my understanding that um, this was at Intercambio. Uh, it was a hard time getting in Intercambio on Saturday morning. Coffee was ready or not? Room was set up or not? Uh, parameters were laid out early or not in terms of what the ground rules were? Uh, could you just make, an, I mean, in terms of what happened, the place wasn't ready. It wasn't set up. Um, there wasn't an agreement on the front end about what, you know, are, are there ground rules or guidelines or guardrails for this conversation? Who's going to control the microphone? 
um, you know, to leave these two in, in, in the position to be controlling the microphone, I just think is a big mistake. I think it's unfair to them. And before we do this in April, I'd like to know what are, the, are we, uh, that, that everybody's clear, not you and me, yeah. but everybody else is there, is clear on, is there a time limit? Are we going to pass the microphone around? Who's going to do that? Who's going to do introductions? Who's going to make certain the place is set up? Because I've shown up in coffee with, coffees with council when it's not ready to go. Joan, you, or Mayor Peck, you and I have, a couple times, you and I have been moving chairs around, right, to, to, get, get, to get it ready. I just think if we're going to do this, and I think it's, it's, it's one of the things for me that's been most, honestly, most enjoyable and most impressive that council members, not me, but you all, and, and our predecessors, would add that to the agenda, to spend Saturday mornings in conversation, right, listening, answering questions when we can, helping solve problems and connecting. I think that just distinguishes this municipality apart from others. But I'd hate to see it go, go sideways because we weren't adequately prepared, because we weren't clear on roles and responsibilities, because we weren't clear with the public on how, what the right decorum is. And uh, based on what I heard about Saturday, uh, I'm not certain how I would respond to the same kind of behaviors on the part of the public at the end of April that I heard about on Saturday. I'm not certain I would sit there and allow myself on a Saturday morning as a volunteer to be berated, shamed, called names. Honestly, and, and, and I, I got to do that on Tuesday nights. I don't have to do that on Saturday mornings. So um, in terms of what, there, what happened, what there is to learn, and how do we get better, at some, at some point in time, we need to have, not just tonight, that needs to be a conversation going forward. But I'm giving you a heads up. Whoever's up with staff at the end of April, I would expect something a little different than what happened on Saturday. Councillor Hidalgo-Fearing. Thank you, Mayor. You know, I just wanted to let the public know, whoever's left um, or tuning in right now, that last Saturday we did have um, coffee with a cop at um, Dickie's Barbecue. And um, it was a really nice, nice event. Um, I had an opportunity not just to speak with residents. Um, so where the barbecue, um, where the restaurant is, it's in my ward. So I, I went out there and um, had the opportunity to speak with um, um, public safety officers. And, um, and it was just, it was a really nice, um, conversation, so I'm hoping that our coffee with council can be can be that pleasant. Um, but yeah, I just you know we are um, getting back into pre-COVID activities, and I would really encourage the next next one that comes up to um, for everyone anyone who's listening um, to to attend. I, I think you know we had some great conversations as well as listening to to residents in in the area. So that was something that um, yeah that. I wanted to end in a positive note, but thank you for bringing up that important point. Seeing no one else, um, we'll go on to the city manager's report. Uh, no comments, Mayor Council. No comments. City Attorney Eugene? No comments, Mayor. Wow. So, can I have a motion to adjourn? All those in favor, say aye. Aye. We are adjourned.
out there. And I'm thinking, if you have faces in the back, better shut up. <laughs> Yes, that was hard. That was good.